some bills there's some crazy money on a credit card this last month i don't know what i bought things have gotten expensive like car insurance everything's kind of blown out crazy money everyone wants to hop up and hang out um i'm watching to see if um so anytime you see on these charts and things um things go parabolic to the downside um that's you know pretty much like capitulation move in crypto where it's like let's say you bought Zephyr at four bucks and you wrote it to fifty two and now it's at like you know there comes a price point after which oh no I'm gonna lose all my gains and people freak out and they just sort of panic on the way down. So that seems like where that that has been the last few days, a bit of that going on. And then really all you're looking at is the um you're you're looking really for just a nice capitulation wick somewhere, which um, might happen here at this price now, because um, Zephyr went down to like ten dollars and forty two cents, and um, it's putting in kind of like a hammer candle where it's um, tracing all the way back up. If it closes in the next like, I don't know. Uh, hour or so it's now at 1260 again if it closes um above green compared to yesterday or the day before like past 14 bucks then that's a pretty solid hammer um where you test a low and then you find a bunch of buyers and then you get some volume and um so yeah, like the hallmark feature of a capi capitulation candle at the bottom is usually like a bunch of buying like truly at the bottom and then it's oftentimes followed up by people that FOMO. They're like, uh-oh, I didn't buy it at $10.50, like at the bottom. Um, but that might be the bottom. And, you know, as it goes up, then start people start. Um, anyone who didn't, like, buy, like, I don't know, below 15 bucks will look at that going, huh, maybe I'll get some before it skyrockets. So they're, remember with crypto, it's like mm, there's always some point, some bottom will form, and then it just starts going up from there. And usually off the bottoms, the upside is really, really high because, you know, it's crypto. And like, I mean, we already went from like 1065 all the way up to 1262 within the day. So usually if you can catch the very bottom or pretty close to it, it's pretty lucrative in crypto. And I don't know where that's going to be. I mean, like realistically, like we've had numerous times where with Zephyr in particular, it looked like, oh, that might be the bottom. That might be the bottom. But the difference is like from 52 all the way to around 17, there was kind of a steady sort of like distribution um, accumulation kind of like two month sort of downtrend. 
Uh, BTC had a little run up to 50k, I remember, and then along with it, what happened was is that um, Zephyr pulled like to like 25 bucks, and then sort of like had a little bit of a sell off again, and then the most recent month, just from um, January 8th onward, it's been pretty much like parabolic down. And by parabolic, I mean, like, if you draw a curve, you know, it almost looks like the opposite of what you want to see, which is, you know, up and to the right, like a, a rapid uh, wave. And uh, so it's kind of like an uh, impulse to the downside. And um, usually that's where on a log scale, if you see an actual, it's not just a line going diagonally, but it's actually a curve headed straight down, then that's how you are pretty sure you're getting close to sort of a capitulation and uh, what last panic buyers are sort of selling or whatever. So if you kind of look at today's volume, um, it's sitting at, uh, let's see, let's pull it up here. Yeah, it's about $967 million, $967,000 on a market cap of right now 36 million, which is very, very fair. Circulating supply is now up to 2,965,000, which is like 400,000 more than it was in October, uh, just because of mining. And hash rate today is about two gigahash per second and rising. So it kind of like you saw hash rate capitulation as well. Hash rate capitulation means when the price of an asset starts to sort of dip lower, eventually it goes below the cost to mine and some fraction of miners say, fuck it, I'm out of here. I'm not mining this thing. I'm losing money on electricity or whatever. So some miners will not mine something unless they feel like they're in profit, uh, which is fine because then the a number of new coins coming to the system goes down. Inflation goes down as like the amount of miners go down, but also difficulty goes down as well, making it less expensive if you're a miner to, um, to mine. Um, so let me see what my miners have produced so far. Um, I think I'm close to around eight Zephyr on my two machines combined, um, at this point, which is pretty damn good. Um, but, um, not as good as if it was still at 50 bucks, of course, but that, you know, that was an impulse move. You're going to get consolidation. Um, that was just a given. So right now. At current difficulty, it says I'm, uh, on my mining rate, I'm going at like 7.21 ZEF per month. My total mine so far since I started late, I believe, late November, early December is about 7.5 ZEF. I have those computers running. They're just sort of running, you know, nonstop, no problems. And um, uh, interestingly, my devices have mined themselves zero um, actual Zephyr. Um, you know, I'm contributing to the mining pool, of course, so that that uh, gives me rewards. But the, my devices themselves did not actually submit any successful um, successful rewards. Anyway, um, so mining hash rate looking fine. Uh, ha- had some capitulation and dropped quite a bit to like hash rate of like 1.6 gigahash a second. Now it's climbing again. So notice that like you know, mining rates go up and down. The New miners show up as old miners leave and whatever, um, and people's devices come online. Ideally, like over time, more hodlers are picking up the coins, and that's good. Um, remember what I said on the way up, like from six bucks all the way to fifty-two. It's like these impulse moves are irrational. They can go up like crazy. They can dump like crazy. None of it means anything. Um, the market, these market caps are basically just an illusion. 
there's only about 5% of actual cash liquidity for most small cap coins. Um, so when you see a market cap of 100 million or something, and it goes there in like a week or something or a month from 5 million to 100 million, then you know that there's no way there's sufficient exit liquidity for that, those numbers, and probably only like 5% or less of actual exit liquidity. Um, if it was a pure, like some kind of scam coin, some kind, you know, what would usually happen is you end up seeing like a, a, a straight pump up and a straight pump like dump down, like if there's a rug pull or some BS. Usually, if there's a good like long distribution over a period of several months like this, that's usually bullish over time. Um, and if you pull up, like create a chart, it's basically just a gigantic, you know, bullish flag essentially is how that looks. Um, you, what you don't want to see is like a coin go to 50 bucks you know, $5 to 50 bucks and then go straight down in a day or two back to five bucks again. That would be bad, um, typically. But um, yeah, on the whole, I'd say kind of looking pretty decent. Um, uh, in terms of uh, just like where, where we are now. So the, the what you want to basically see now is a candle close. I believe candle close is like 10 minutes. Um, and you want to see something in the $13, $14 range. So if anyone has some Zeph to buy to make the candles look better, go for it. But like, that doesn't mean the price couldn't go down further. Um, it's really tough to tell with these moves uh, where things will dip to. But at this point, like, you know, if my cost basis was like 20 or something, and now I'm at 12, I'm already, like, my position technically is underwater either way. Um, you know, it's like certainly doesn't make sense to gamble trying to figure out exactly where the, the bottom is. So some people make the mistake of like, or, you know, they might accurately do it, but like some people make the mistake of going, oh my God, it's going down too much. I'm going to sell. I'm going to buy back lower. The thing is, that's a separate, that's a different gamble. Uh, maybe it goes back lower or maybe you literally are the one selling the bottom. And that's oftentimes the problem in capitulations is what ends up happening is many people will sell the bottom. So I remember this one, like Bitcoin dropped from you know, 20,000 down to um, like 6,000. It distributed just like this back in 2017. And then it dumped like from 6,000 down to 3K and everyone's freaking out, panicking and shit. Um, I was adding to some bags at that time. And at the same time, people would always call for lower. They'd be like, no, Bitcoin's going to a thousand. You know, like, you know, this is, this is always what happens at the bottom. You'll have people that get greedy at the bottom. Like what greed at the bottom looks like is calling for ever lower bottoms, regardless of how low something goes. Um, and, you know, sometimes you'll, they'll be right. Like sometimes uh, like Ethereum dumped like 97, 95% or something from the top back in those days in 2018. Um, and that can happen. Um, on the other hand, uh, sometimes that's just greed talking. Things don't go that low. Um, I was posting earlier the CASPA chart. The initial CASPA chart um, did exactly this. Um, you look at the very initial sort of like listing on MEXC, um, CASPA listed and sort of immediately pumped like to around um, 0 0.005 and it dumped down to like 0 0.0042. Um, and that represents like a, like at least by my measurements, like a 76% plus retracement. So after it did that, it just basically started mooning and um, it, it ran up pretty quickly, then did another retrace, ran up more. But over the period of about a year 
and a half you got to you got from like a sub 50 million dollar market cap to a 3 billion dollar market cap and then even from that 3 billion market cap um you had a substantial retracement for caspa um which uh the most recent retracement was from 15 cents down to around nine cents and that represented about a 39 percent retracement so as you go higher and higher the retracements may not be as deep now it may not be over for caspa it might retrace a lot more of the next few months who knows um it's riding high sort of above the 200 day moving average but it's lost the 50 day for now um so typically with these things um you know you want to buy like when they're below the moving averages um you know and and as far below them as possible because that's when you're getting the best deal so to speak um and um so with with zephyr in particular looking in um like right now the retracement is so um so if you assume 5235 was the top the bottom so far was around um 1050 that represents an 80 percent retracement so could you drop even further sure but remember like you're going to find buyers somewhere and when they when they show up remember you can buy a lot of coins very easily when it's super cheap especially people that have already been buying heavily and um, therefore there usually is a fairly rapid rise from wherever the bottom is in crypto the the, the pump from there usually is very rapid so the lower you go, the lower the the relative risk is for further downside, but it's also the higher the upside is for rapid gains. Because now, like you only have to get to 120 uh, Zephyr, and you'll be pretty much at a 10x from there. So um, it starts looking these things start looking really really attractive um, at that level. Um, the altcoin space in general is basically in the process of sort of getting wrecked at the moment. Um, you have like neutron pulled back from like a buck 71 to i don't know like dollar four for example um you have um fetch that's pulled back from like uh 79 cents and it pulled all the way down to 52. Uh, these are larger market cap things so they don't move as as quickly as something like a uh, zephyr because it's a small market cap um kajira's pulled back from like 556 at the top to 318 and you're not really seeing very much volume at the bottoms here so far it's kind of like just puttering along um and um typically that that can overall be a good thing in the sense that the the more the volume drops in crypto the more likely a um trend reversal is likely going to happen uh, or a capitulation is going to happen. One of the two usually gets some kind of extreme volatility as volume drops. Um, but um, 200 day moving average, say for example, for Kajira is at $2.10. It's currently at $3.18. So, like a couple of bucks, um, which was the breakout level actually for Kajira from its previous high in 2022. Um, probability of catching a bid again at $2 for Kajira, as an example, is very, very good. And um, which is also why it kept catching a bit every time it went down close to like 270 or so. So uh, that's one where you could probably, if you get lucky and you can pick it up around two, it's probably not a bad place to be getting Kajira. Um, anyway, so like all, the, all, basically what I'm saying is like all the altcoins have similar charts right now. Um, you know, like Luna went to a dollar seventy 
27 and it dropped all the way down to 55 cents, for example. So um, these kind of deep retracements are happening all over the altcoin space. Um, same with Doge, like Doge went all the way up to um, 10 cents and dumped all the way down to 0 0.07, pretty substantial, like more than 30% retracement there for something that's a fairly large market cap. Um, and the, the question that everyone's going to have on their mind now is, are we in for some sort of giga dump or is this like the beginning of a disbelief rally and it's time to moon? And we don't really know for sure, um, except for the fact that we've had like two years of consolidation of forming bottoms. Um, take Doge, for example, as a bellwether, it went down to about five cents twice. Now it's at around 7.8 cents, just a little bit off of the low. It's sitting right at the 200-day moving average in an uptrend. So the 200-day moving average is going up, but the price is sitting right above it. Atom has the same chart. Litecoin has the same chart. Um, a lot of things have this sort of look about them. Uh, uh, Link has a relatively better chart where it's riding a, quite a bit higher above the 200-day moving average. But a lot of things have pulled back all the way to the 200-day. And what people get nervous about then is, wait a minute, is this uptrend going to continue? You know, we have halvening coming, we have this Bitcoin ETF thing that happened, we have maybe an Ethereum ETF and whatever. Are we going to have ongoing excitement in the community? Are new buyers going to come into crypto and pop my bags? Or, you know, are we going to go to the netherworld and everything just goes into a, a just an absolute dump, dumpster fire? Um, like, you know, we had that happen in the, uh, the last happening year of 2020, we had the COVID crash in March. I think plenty of people have PTSD from that in terms of like price action. And uh, is that going to happen again? I don't know. I tend to find that when something like that happens in the past, there is a tendency for people to imagine, oh, I think it's going to happen again. It, you know, we're going to have the exact same chart every season. Therefore, I can get rich really easily because all I have to do is go look at the past performance and I can just basically make a bet on things. My bet has been that we're not going to have a big dump into the spring. Um, why is my bet? So I'm heavily allocated now. The reason I'm betting against a mega dump is because one, that's just too easy in the sense that like, all you have to do is look at last happening chart and like just copy it. It doesn't make any sense. Usually things don't have perfect copies. In fact, go back to every single season. You'll notice that the chart is slightly different each time. So it's not like the past pattern has to play out. The second thing is like, um, uh, unless something banking crisis or something else happens, um, there's not an obvious negative catalyst on the crypto horizon. So that's the other reason to believe that maybe um, things are okay. You have the ETF flows coming in. They're looking pretty good. In fact, the ETFs pretty much bought up most of what Grayscale had moved out. So a lot of that supply has been bought up. Um, that's not to say that retail couldn't panic and sell anyway. But on the whole, like there's not a whole lot of FUD going on here. Um, I think the, the amount of $120 million worth of federal government Bitcoin that's going to be sold is kind of like a drop in the bucket. It's not a big deal. Um, that's the Mt. Gox sort of period money. Um, but, uh, you know, nothing really, really super negative um, in terms of catalysts unless the some macroeconomic catastrophe or some shit happens or some war or God knows what else. So that's the thing about black swans. You don't know they're actually going to happen. Um, will something happen in the, this year? I suppose it's always possible. A year is a long time. 
but um, I'm betting on the, fact, the idea that like, okay, um, I gambled heavy in the sense that I have taken positions and, and made myself, uh, I loaded up pretty heavily. And the idea here is that like, if we go up, great. If we have to take a dump, go down, I might use some of my income over the coming year and, and load up some more. Um, on the other hand, if, if we just go straight up, fine. If we don't, that's fine too. Um, I'll, I'm willing to wait for a dip, wait out my portfolio going down and then like just wait for it to go back up later. Um, that's kind of my ongoing thesis for the moment. But yeah, Camilla, what are you doing? Hi, Jeffy. How are you, man? Um, what do you think it's the next resistance point on the resistance level on the downside for Seth? Six? Um, let me see here. Yeah, the support levels for it are at um, 992, which we almost got to anyway, like at 1050. We got to 1040. Uh, then there's a 6.7 level. There's a 4.124 level, $4 level. So, but you know, remember, like once, so a lot of money has sloshed around Zephyr in the last several months. You had like anywhere between uh, 800 to $1.4 million of volume per day that has been transacted. Now, is some of that wash trading and bullshit? Who knows? But the point is, like, fair amount of money has traded exchange hands, which means that. Um, the lower you go, the probability you're going to find buyers is quite high. People that have been on the sidelines, people maybe that are only mining, whatever. There will be some number here, either it's 992 or 6.7, where, um, you know, it depends on how much you want to gamble in the sense that, like, I'll typically scale in as we go down because I don't know exactly which number we're going to hit. So why gamble on being perfect? I'd rather be approximately pretty good like you know below 65 percent retracement or whatever i'm comfortable adding on the way down um and you know if i have some of my bags that are in the red fine whatever i don't care i'll, I'll just wait it out but um yeah is, is it possible to pick exactly how far things are going to go down you don't know for sure um like see the the problem is is that by the time you see the capitulation volume usually in a in a Log, like a logarithmic or exponential drop downwards or a uh, downward par parabolic move. What you'll find is that like the by the time the volume candle shows up, and you're like, ooh, there's buyers here. The price will usually already like double quickly in crypto. Like for example, with BTC, um, if you go back to when like uh, the COVID crash, for example, and dropped like thirty five hundred dollars or something from six or seven k. Um, I remember that day really, really well. And I'm like, I'm buying here, boys. You know, like I was on a different platform and, um, and almost nobody was buying at the time. And, uh, they're all panicked and freaking out. Oh my God, my bags are going to zero. Um, so, um, you know, but at, by the time you have like clarified that it's a definite reversal, like by the time you go and say, oh yeah, this is definitely support. There's definitely a gigantic volume candle at X number. And I'm, I'm sure that's the floor now. By that point, like, Let's take Zephyr for example. Like, how, what level will you know that you're at a reversal? Like, let's say you go down to 10 bucks, which we basically did. Is a reversal when you hit 15? Is a reversal when you hit 26? Is a reversal when you break all time high? Some people don't trust anything except an all time high break. Um, some people like, they'll just wait and wait and wait until a high break. Other people are like, nah, I'd rather just like 
scale in all the way to the bottom in that way if we get back to all-time high i'm already doing like a 5x or something right I mean, just imagine we're at 12 13 now you simply go back to like all-time high and you're basically almost a 5x from here so some people just say well you know wh why do i want to like worry about all this charting and shit i'll just basically get bit by bigger end on the way down and um there's no special math or skills or nothing needed i don't have to you know pay attention to anything just put in some limit orders and win um, so it just depends on your thesis and how you're going to do it, but um, but yeah, there's a level at 9.92 and 6.70. I think like if if we go to 6.70, um, like you know, I'm okay just sort of scaling in here, but like if we go to 6.70 or those much lower numbers, I'll probably go sell a lot of something and move it here, um, and uh, basically like because I. So my link bag, I got it like seven bucks and it's now at 1369. So I might, I have that readily available. So I might just transfer some of that, um, convert it to Zephyr if I, if I find that the deal is just too good to pass up. Otherwise I've got a pretty good bag of Zeph. I'm not sure I need to allocate anymore in all seriousness. So like, you know, I, I put in a quite a bit at like 14, 15, 16, 17 bucks, that area. Um, I could definitely get more, I suppose, but like, um, uh, like what price would I want to get more at maybe like nine or six or something like that. I'll just go crazy go, go find some more funds and just dive in. Maybe I'm not sure. Um, it, and it might just simply pop now and keep moving. Oh yeah. See, we have a new candle close now. So, um, yeah, put in kind of a hammer candle. It didn't quite go green compared to yesterday. Um, like, let me see here. It, um, on the four hour chart, yeah. So on the on the daily, it, the, the candle close today did not beat like yesterday's closes. So it's still technically in a downtrend in a sense, if you just go by the chart. Um, you know, unless a whole bunch of people start buying right now, it heads back up to like fifteen, sixteen bucks immediately. Um, so yeah, you'd you'd like to see another retest of the fifty day moving average. Um, and that would be a pop to like nineteen bucks. And if you can pass that quickly, then I think you've probably got a reversal. So you you pass the 50-day moving average, hang in there on the up, upside of it, and then head up after that. And the timing here is pretty good. Like the typical time for these retracements on these small market caps. Uh, so, so far, if you look at like d uh, the number of days that have gone by, we've had 64 days since the high. And uh, so that's, of course, like two months. And typically, like if you look at Caspa's run, it took approximately like three months uh, to recover from some of its dumps. So if it's already at 60 days, we're talking about one more month. Within a month, you'd like to see us go to look back to 51 bucks and like go back to its prior high for a potential break. That would be ideal. Now, having said that, like, you know, Caspa was like alone like bullish coin in a bear market where almost everything was doing shitty. So, you know, is, is that going to be replicated here? Maybe not. Like, you know, there's enough, there's so many coins to pay attention to right now. On the other hand, um, all coins generally have been dumping pretty hard. You know, when is that going to stop? Mm, are we approaching sort of the end of that? Or um, do we have some more downside? I have no idea. Like, and some charts definitely look worse than others. Like mm, injective pull pullback looks pretty weak. Like it's uh, pretty much kind of put in a kind of a double top 
and it wouldn't surprise me if it, it takes a pretty good nosedive. So it's quite possible that this year, the alts that have already run, especially like things like Injective and others, it's possible that they go into a protracted sideways market or like really down, down quite a bit to retrace for the coming year. Um, hard, hard to say for sure. So I'm, I'm less inclined to sort of like add anything to stuff that is run hard that hasn't pulled back um, aggressively. Um, not to say that they, that, you know, you can't just get up more upside. Some of those things just keep going up, right? Like who knows? But like, I think I'm mainly focused on the stuff that's pulled back. Uh, There's also, can it be also um, loss of interest, something similar to what happened to Cadena? Cadena's mm, different. Cadena, what, what happened there is, um, uh, between Nicholas Flamel and a few other people, we pumped the living shit out of Cadena with our Luna um, UST borrows. So you might be like, oh, how, like, why did Cadena go up so much? It went up so much because I had a gajillion dollars of Luna and I was basically borrowing off of that, borrowing UST, sending it to KuCoin and getting the shit out of like market buying um, Cadena. So we picked it up at like $250, $3, right around that level. I think I bought it maybe like 350 anyway, and it ran up to like 27 bucks. And then Galaxy Digital pumped it too, if you remember. Like, you know, Mike Novogratz is like, woohoo, it's, yeah. it could go higher and it could go. And, and people are like, how high could it go? He's like, it could go to 50 bucks, remember? And, and then like it sold off at about 27. Um, Cadena was kind of a, a proof of work, interesting project. But the problem is, is like it's a smart contract chain and um, it has a specialized language and the trouble with Cadena at the time was like they were having a hard time delivering on some of the actual promises that they made, which is like it was meant to be like a solution for a high speed chain. And it was not fast, <laughs> which is like, wait, why do you have this gigantic chain web thing? It's not fast. So there wasn't like there was some concerns among community members about how good it was going to be and all that sort of shit, too. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, like. And, you know, like, so, so anything can happen in these markets. Um, but I know for sure that KDA was not like the most organic of pumps. It was a heavily leveraged fueled, you know, like giga pump. Cause like Flamel was good at like getting, you know, Luna crowd to, you know, pump shit. And so like he would say, oh, I'm getting into KDA and everyone's like, okay, fuck it. I'm in. And everyone would go buy it and then, you know, and it would just go straight up. And that was like Cadena was quite literally a testament to people that were Luna rich who basically just leveraged their Luna and pumped the shit out of that thing. Um, and part of it was because it was available on um, it was available on KuCoin. And not only that, but it was available for leverage on KuCoin. Right. So people would take leverage from their, you know, borrow UST off their Luna, which, you know, people had like really high valuations of Luna back then. We're talking about like you know, you know, tens of millions of dollars worth of, and, you know, people were like borrowing off of that for relatively, I mean, borrowing off it for practically for free because you, you like, you could borrow off like 20% of your bag with very re relatively low risk in terms of loan to value ratio. And people would borrow off it and go and like pump shit like Cadena. And you could send it right to KuCoin because KuCoin accepted UST. So Cadena is a very specific, special example. Um, there are many cases of like, um, charts that are kind of up only for a while and then sort of drop. But remember, Cadena's market cap was much bigger than Zephyr's at the top. Cadena was like, shit, I don't even remember. 
me see if I can find that number here. I think one, 1 billion at the top. It, was it only 1 billion or is it more than that? I think when it was 27, it, it grew up, up to one point something. I thought it was more than that. I thought it was more. Let me see. Because um, its market cap right now is 255 million. And that's at $1. So it's got, it was in the billions, I think. For um, Where do you look up the highest market cap? Um, oh, yeah. Coin market cap does a good job with that. So you just hit all and then you hit like you sort it by market cap. Yeah, it was at 2.48 billion market cap at the top. Um, and so far, as far as we can tell, um, Caspa has not done a dump like Cadena has. Uh, although it's not impossible. Yeah, here we go. 3.53 billion at the top. And it retraced to like 2.95 billion and to 2.6 billion. And it was like, that was the time when it's like, ooh, could this be like the next move up because it had a nice retracement? Um, it even retraced down to 1.56 billion, pumped back up to like 2.5 billion. It all looked, it looked like a pretty good recovery, but then it turned out to be like complacency shoulder after complacency shoulder. And it never actually went back up again. And then it like nosedived into oblivion. Um, and now part of it is because like you have, where you have to be careful is with proof of work coins you can have a lot of coins out there right like all these miners that are mining and on the way down you don't know when that mining um w w when the um like miners are going to start holding their coins versus continually selling so uh proof of work pro projects can take sometimes years to distribute some of that early high inflationary uh, tokenomic um so yeah, tough to say, but yeah, Cadena was an interesting case, but uh, nowhere near like this. Like you know, this would be like when Cadena pumped to like I don't know the very beginning when it pumped like a hundred million or something like that. Um, this is nowhere near uh, that, and and Cadena had all, like VCs and like you know slick advertising, all that shit, right? Um, Zephyr's not one of those things that has all those things, so it is forced to grow organically at this point. And um, that can be a good thing in the sense that um, you don't have like a, a, you don't have you won't have wildly extraneous hash rates um, if the price drops and um, you know distribution should look pretty decent as far as the token distribution. Anyway, but um, yeah, now is definitely the time to think about it, um, especially it's in like the the area where you're at sub like. Mm, it's like 35 million market cap i think let me pull it up here yeah 36.6 million market cap not bad as far as how it's looking um but um um like some I'm just like there's some other proof of work chains though that were sort of hyped a little bit lately if you look at ai power grid for example it went to like 75 cents and it's now at 25 cents um it's been down only but then again, the, the, the alt space in general has been sort of down only as well. So microcaps especially got like absolutely wrecked. Um, another like Casper sort of like fork was KLS. We sort of like looked at that early on and gambled on it a month or two ago. That one um, has dropped so low that it's below the price it was sold OTC, OTC on Discord. It's like at uh, 1.7 cents. So if you were into that then, um, it's super cheap now. I don't even know what the market cap is. It doesn't say on here. But um, the 
that's another one where the hash rate was super high because it's not, uh, I don't think it's, I'm not sure if it's ASIC resistant or not, but it was GPU mined. And you had a lot of coins come onto the market quickly. So that's something to always bear in mind with these proof of work things. Like early on in the first year or two, um, these things can take, take their sweet time finding their bottom because with proof of work, early on, you have a way lower difficulty level and a lot more coins get mined than you might think. And um, like Zephyr's example, like I think we were at three and a half, we were at two and a half million coins back in like October. And now we're at close to three million uh, here in January. So the way this works is um, you have a relatively high inflationary reward early on in order to, um, in order to like bootstrap the protocol and basically pay out more liquidity to network creators, which are the miners. And then um, later on, as the difficulty increases, then scarcity goes up. Um, so, but Zephyr is like total market cap is about 18 million plus or minus. And then there's some tail emissions afterwards. So 18 million is sort of the big number. I don't know what year that's expected to actually occur. Right now we're at 3 million uh, coins outstanding. Um, so anyway, there's, there's sell pressure. Um, from miners always with proof of work. Uh, it's different from the inflationary rewards and proof of stake, but very similar in some ways. Um, anyway, but that's that's kind of the status of Zephyr at the moment. Um, everything works pretty good. Um, the wallets have worked okay. The um, it is something to be aware of that transfers on Zephyr take longer. That is not a mistake. It's not because of network congestion. It is by design. The reason that is the case is, yeah, can you hear me? Something wrong with your connection, Camilla? Um, so the reason that is the case that transactions are slow on Zephyr is because it uses that for privacy um, by staggering transactions and moving them over periods of time. That allows for some of the, the you know, the secrecy mechanism of ring signatures and whatever. And that's why that's slow. Um, you know, and so that's a feature, not a bug of the uh, of the system. So just be aware of that if you're transferring anything or doing whatever. Um, and uh, so every time you make a transaction or you receive some of your wallet, you'll notice it says locked. You can't move anything. And that's usually for about 20 minutes. Um, and that's normal for this protocol. Um, when the ZSD window opened, the ZRS window opened, I was, I was only able to get 8.93 ZRS, which is pretty pathetic. Um, but right now, Zephyr's collateralization ratio is still pretty high. It's currently at 1,000% reserve ratio. So, so it doesn't seem like it's very easy to get your hands on some ZRS, unfortunately. But um, um, fortunately or unfortunately, depending on how you look at it. <laughs> um, but anyway, so um, yeah, if you can get it, if you can catch a bid at like ten bucks again on Zephyr, that'd be pretty good. Um, but at this point, nobody knows exactly how low it'll go and whatever. Um, will it retest its prior lows? Like I don't know, buck eighty-one? Oh, I doubt that. I mean, that seems a bit, a bit extreme considering that we have way more volume traded now in January than we did in like late October when we were at those prices. So we have generally like double the volume from back then. So it's doubtful people will like 
like prices will go down that low. Although you never know 400% sure because you don't know what miners are going to do with their coins. Miners don't buy their coins. They produce them with electricity. So um, you don't see the activity of what they're selling. You don't know for sure what is theirs that they're selling versus whoever. And someone made the comment, oh, maybe it's the team dumping. And it's always possible. Um, like, you know, uh, somewhere along the way, teams have to sort of like pay the bills. So, you know, it's a privacy chain. So someone could be selling. You don't know for sure. There have, there have been an absurd number of people today calling it a rug, which I think is a little ridiculous. Well, I, I shouldn't have said that. Actually, the real reason I'm here is I've, because of the I've, promised compensation I've, from Coach, Coach Bruce this morning. Mm. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I didn't see too many people like worrying about rugs, or whatever. Pretty much most of the altcoins are doing this. Like almost uh, all the new sort of proof of work coins that were sort of hyped a little bit um, have been dropping. There's this 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 uh, one guy. I'm I I called him out a couple times. Uh, where is he? Jesus. I think there's a like just judging by the timeline, it seems like there's a very profound amount of bearishness on the timeline. Yeah, um, yeah. People I are. I don't know why. Not not for this coin only, but just generally speaking, like it doesn't seem like people have much enthusiasm. At El Pamelo, this guy. Every single one of his posts for the last day, like twenty straight hours, has been an attack on Nexa and Zeph, which is wild. <laughs> and he, he keeps calling it uh, a rug and a scam team. Yeah, it's 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 wild. Yeah, you most. Most of these folks are like newbies and stuff. Yeah, like, I, I guess they don't understand how how a fair launch works and and what proof of work means. Um, and the guys yeah, like ETH, ETH, ETH. Always remember, ETH dropped ninety five percent from the top. BTC has done the same um, in the early days. Like this is just normal. Yeah, no. Like I know. That's so like so like it's almost like if the people that are that newbieish, like they're probably going to lose a lot of money because they just don't understand works like they'll there that's the bottom sellers right there they, they assume that they're down 80 percent or whatever and it's going to zero and they'll just panic yeah. and sell so it's yeah, like I saw which doesn't really with a, with a guy who said he bought it at 52 and sold at 12 and i, I was pretty sure he was just trolling but now, I'm, just now I'm not sure man <laughs> nah, it's just trolling it's just having fun um it's kind of like oh you showed it at such and such yeah. price and you know that kind of thing yeah. <laughs> it's funny how like just posting a chart at any price is considered chilling which is very funny like with no, like I don't even draw like targets on mine, generally speaking, right? I don't even like put, there's some fib levels and I'm not one of these people that draws a bunch of like arrows and stuff usually. Um, just because like, th there's no point in implying which direction. People assume bullishness regardless of what you say. If you say nothing, the mere existence of a post assumes bullishness in most people's head. Pretty cool. <laughs> nice. But um, yeah, there's no, there's no implication that, that things go up and whatever. Um, and you know, like we tend not to try to tell people to grab it, like, you know, after it's like done bunch of multiples and stuff. So yeah, like, um, well, yeah, of course, joke that would just it. be bad advice. I mean, that's just chasing green candles. I mean, unless it, well, it, now having said that I, I bought the actual top, like when I bought it six bucks Zephyr, it was the top, yeah, um, at the time. True. So, so like, so when up mentioned it to me, but I didn't blame him. I'm like, Oh, you showed it to me. <laughs> Like if it had gone down to a dollar, I'd be fuck it. Like it went down to a dollar. That's just the way of these things. You know, I don't. I don't blame the people that tell me about the project. It's just silly. So most of those people, like when you see those people on the timeline, it's just basically ignore. 
In fact, it's it's the almost certainty that they're a rank amateur, and you should pretty much block them as far as any kind of alpha. Like they're just useless. Yeah, yeah, and I probably I probably threw. It is, it is the job of the newbie to lose tons of fucking money. In fact, it is the job of the new, newbie to probably have their bag drop at least ninety five percent. Ouch. Yeah. Yeah, newbies need to get absolutely fucking murdered. That's how it works. So, like, yeah, I have absolutely no sympathy for all for for newbies that walk in and like pretend like like the world owes them something. No, you're here for the hard lesson. Yeah, yeah. you can yeah. either learn those lessons in college or somewhere where maybe someone will teach you, which which they don't, by the way. You could spend four hundred grand on college, you learn nothing about how to do stock trading, like nothing. Like you don't go to you could go to like a, a famous like banking style university like Vandy or something. You're still not going to learn anything about it. I don't really think this is something that you can teach. I, I feel like there's a huge experience. No, uh, you can you can definitely teach it. But the thing is, like, no one will believe you. What, what I've noticed is like you can say all sorts of things, whether people will believe you or not. It's a different story. And you only believe it after you've been burned or you've. So if your bag moons 100x then you think you're a genius if your if your bag drops 100x well you think you're an imbecile uh either way you learn something but there's almost no you're right like there's no way to really get it until you've gone through the school of hard knocks because if you have a bag that's like let's say you spend 10k on a bag and it goes to a million um and you've never seen a million dollars before it's going to change you for sure like your ma your mindset about everything suddenly changes. You start thinking, wait, like maybe I don't need to do this job I'm in. Maybe I can buy a fancier car. Maybe I can eat better. $100 million. Maybe I should start fucking going to the gym yeah, and losing weight. Or yeah, people start behaving differently the moment the bag goes up. I mean, I, um, I do mortgages, so I, I can say firsthand that a million dollars in net worth is like virtually nothing. I mean, it's almost commonplace at this point. I think it's like. <laughs> <laughs> for, for for a lot yeah, of people that's i true. mean especially if you throw but, in like a primary residence you know equity so yeah or what, you get my picture though but my point is like yeah when 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 you have someone that makes it really big really quickly um they don't blame the devs right they don't like you know so if you bought cadena three dollars and sold it to, you know 25 you're gonna blame the devs for that no and you're in, so the same way like no one owes you something when it goes up nobody owes you fucking anything when it goes down yeah, either of course um, that's your business to do. Yeah, it's, it's your entitlement like, because you're genetically superior, right? Yeah, yeah. And the people that complain are just genetically imbeciles. <laughs> like you can, you can, you can straightforward say that. Like usually, it's the low IQ crowd that behaves that way too. Dude, the problem is, so many of them have made it already. You know, but yeah, I don't know. And then I'm sitting here with my Dunning Kruger effect, wondering. I, I don't think so. Like, who, wait, what do you mean? Who who made it already? What are you talking about? Like, I don't think so. I think most people in crypto have not made it. Uh, I, don't, yeah. I don't think so at all. I mean, that one guy who bought Shiba Inu at uh, yeah, but the value in in crypto is basically like close to the top. I, I would say probably it's very similar to like the regular world, and it probably like ten percent of people probably have most of the money in crypto, and the other ninety percent are just like you know praying their bag goes up. Um, that's usually the case. Um, so it's like, and those numbers are quite stark. Actually, it probably is ninety ten something like that. Uh, realistically i mean just look at like just look at btc holders right but like the whales for the early five years you know like that's a gigantic chunk of money right there like as part of the market cap right yeah so yeah. so really like the, the the winners win hard um in these type of things um and it's only a few people that like literally have their caspa bag or their bitcoin bag or whatever from the very beginning like that's not very many people um 
Because like, think about it, like, look at Zephyr as a perfect example. Let's say one day it's destined to be a $10 billion project. Um, and you look at the chart today, you're like, oh my God, I, I bought it $40, I'm wrecked. And like one day the, the price is at like $5,000 or something. I'm just making a bullshit, by the way. It may not go there. I'm just saying like, right but had you been there at the beginning through this volatility, yeah, then, and, and you diamond handed that bitch all the way to the very top and you never even looked at it or something. Um, most of the time with these type of projects, you're much likely to do better. Um, if it's going to be successful, you're much more likely to do better just never looking at it. Like, like quite literally just go back five years later and see what happens. So what you do is you allocate a tiny amount, you leave it there and whatever it does, it does. And whatever it does, you know, so a lot of times I've been surprised, like there'd be assets and I'm like, what the fuck? I bought this thing at hundred, you know, it, it doubled or 10 X or whatever. And I didn't even look at it. I wasn't even paying attention. Like I bought Kujira, for example, at like, I don't know, it must've been 50 cents or some shit, uh, 25 cents maybe um, at, you know, on old Terra and like ported it over and just left it there. I literally did nothing with it. I didn't play on Kujira. I have no idea. And then I go back and look at my bag. It's like, oh shit, that thing went up a lot. <laughs> like, you know, and so I just hadn't even paid attention for the longest time. Um, so it's like that, that's actually a much easier way to handle the volatility for most people than to, than to sit in there and look at your bag and cope and stuff. Cause like even, even Kujira, like, um, there were times when it probably like five X along the way while I was waiting. Um, and it dumped again and five X again and then dumped again. And I just left it alone. And then it just, you know, ran to like five fifty from like 38 cents or something like that. So, you know, uh, to pull like a, you know, hundred X off the bottom or whatever that is, you know, it, it's not, um, you know, to, or 10 X, I'm sorry, to pull a 10 X off the bottom. It's much easier to do it when you have, you're not, paying attention is my point yeah and you know i completely agree with that and and the worst part about it is uh, it's going to make no difference i'm going to look at my bag every single day and either <laughs> yeah. celebrate you know and question all of my decisions so yeah yeah sometimes it's better to like watch movies or play a video game or something <laughs> and just like leave the fucking <laughs> leave the shit alone um yeah just like this is the thing this is the mental process and like when people talk about like the mentality of trading and all this shit, it sounds like, I don't know, it's kind of nauseating to hear those spaces. Oh, you got to think like this. You got to, you have to like, you know, you have to like, it's all about your emotions and control of them and all this other shit. And, um, you know, is that really trainable is the question. And no. to, to, to only to an extent is, does knowledge train you? It'd be like, you know, the, the example I give is like, imagine you do a bunch of simulated um, crash landings of an airplane in a simulator. Um, and then, you know, the real crash happens, like you need to land that plane. Um, how good are you going to be to do it when your actual life is in danger versus when you're in a simulator? It's different for sure. Like I, I flew flame, the plane for the first time, um, like a few months back. Um, my, my colleague has an airplane and he took me up in this like single, single engine, like, you know, Cessna. Yeah. You know, Cessna type of deal, right? So I go up in this fucking thing and I'm floating around in this thing. I'm like, holy fuck, like we're just holding on by the skin of our, you know what I mean? Like this one engine dies for some reason, this sub 300 horsepower engine and uh, my ass is going to die, right? Like, like that's that's kind of yeah. the, the thought I had. Now, I, I was able to fly the thing fine. I was I had a plenty of time playing on video games with airplanes since I was a kid. So I understand like the nature of how the 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 yoke sort of works and you, you, know, you were 100 on microsoft flight simulator weren't you 
Oh, as a yeah. kid. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, at the first version of the second <laughs> thing. Not not just like we're not we're talking about when Microsoft Flight Simulator was a bunch like three dots was your the size of your your plane on the screen was like a horizontal line and uh, and a line going up, which was like a little T that was the plane. That was the graphics. I shit you <laughs> yeah. not. That was Flight Simulator One or whatever on floppy disks and shit. Yeah, I think I might have been on um, three. It was nineteen ninety nine. Yeah, we, yeah. we even had a joystick. It was it was pretty pretty lit. No, I remember Flight Simulator back like nineteen ninety sub nineteen ninety, um, way back. And uh, but anyway, point is like, but you know, in the plan and everything, I'm I'm thinking about that and going, um, okay, my colleague knows how to fly this thing, and he you know he's taken some plenty of lessons and blah 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 and whatever. Um, maybe he's felt some pretty good turbulence and you know felt his heart drop out from under him, but like realistically, like. Would he be able to land land this fucking thing in like serious winds? And the winds actually pick up like more as you get close to the ground. Would he be able to handle that, land that bitch, you know, in, in max like turbulent bad weather? Would he be able to handle it if like, you know, something happened and we're gonna glide this bitch to the ground and land it in God knows where? Fuck no. I mean, like, like I might as well just kiss my ass goodbye, probably, right? So the same thing is true is like in, in trading and stuff. It's like you can pretend like you're gonna like, you know, well, you see, you know that, what you're doing. that's exactly what I'm saying, right? Like, you can't teach it. Um, and, and I think even yeah. experience is a guarantee, it. right? So, experience is not a guarantee. Yeah. That's why some people like say it's like it takes you multiple cycles to sort it out yeah. because, it's like I told you, one it's my third cycle, and I'm still an idiot. So, <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's your third cycle. Tell me this Have you, are, are you able to predict where the altcoin market's going to look like six months from now? No. no, you're still like, I have no clue, right? It like the it, with each dip, you're like, oh, we're going back to zero again, aren't we? Right, something like, like that, right? Yeah, I keep worrying about Bitcoin yeah. down to thirty thousand, and I'm like, Jesus, man, did I put my money in all at the wrong time when I rushed to do it at the end of November? Yeah. Well, I mean, all the alts had sort of like made their first move up, and all they've done is really like done the usual pullback, yeah. and we're like maybe a little bit below the fifty day moving average on a lot of coins. That's true, but I, I still bought a bunch of tops and a whole bunch of green candles. I think I've only bought a handful of dips. So, <laughs> so like, what did you do during the bear market? You didn't buy anything. Um, I I dollar cost that cost averaged and uh, um, you dip, Ethereum, you, you Ethereum bought some and, dips. Yeah, Ethereum and Rune. Um, mm, okay. I didn't okay. didn't buy much in November of 2022, but I I did get a little bit of BTC. But um, see, what you did was you DCA you DCA'd into ETH, which has way less upside. Yeah, and you did that because you were afraid because you're like, I don't know, <laughs> fucking all to go to zero. Yeah, but so it's, it's also fear motivated you. Stephanie, Otherwise, you would have not been trying. Man, it was the OG in 20, 2017. Mm -hmm. But my old. point is, like, if you were like going, if you had some balls on you, what you'd have done <laughs> is not gotten ETH because, like, that's like the people that were like DCAing to Bitcoin for the last two years. Um, yeah, you could do that, but like your upside's relatively. Listen, capped. man, I, I DCA rune, you know, yeah, giving me the yeah, no yeah runes, runes high yeah. ball, runes high ball. So yeah, you, you, that's that's good. But no, I'm just kidding. But you know what no, I mean. I but, know, like, man. but my point is, like, you you tend to fly to safety even when during the bear market you're like, oh, maybe I should go for the most. Um, you know, secure plays, you know, no, I'm going to fuck this even, up again and my today, shit's going to go down yeah. too much. And so when, when alts are at their very bottom, man, they, they pump like what, two, three X, you know, really easily off the bottoms. Um, and, but at the same time, at the exact same times, those are bottoming. And let's say ETH is at its bottom. There's a tendency to get the like safety one, right? Like you, you have that. It happens, even though, you know, almost for sure, if the alts run, they're going to run hard, but when they're going down, it's like, wait, are we never going to have a bull market again? 
dude i, I just what if it doesn't today. go back i was up. like so I've, I've got just a little bit of money left sitting on the sidelines and i was like do i buy the zef dip i think the candle was at ten dollars and 32 cents right uh-huh and at the um, same then, time you're like maybe i should get something safe like yeah maybe i should just <laughs> buy some eth and then get a yeah. loan against it on ave and then i'll buy some some alts with it you know <laughs> like, yeah yeah, yeah. Dude, so. you're, you're you're but notice how like on the way down you have a tendency mentally to like flight to safety as opposed mm-hmm. to increasing your risk exposure for high volatility. It's, it's really tough to buy the bottoms of anything. And because you don't know when something's going to bottom. So you don't know for sure. So like, you're like, Oh, I don't know. So people miss the bottom all the time. Like it's very, very common. You'll notice this too. You can see it in the volume. You'll see like a bottom gets hit maybe the volume's at its lowest a lot of times at the bottom. And then the volume picks up like after you start seeing it run back up. And then of course, like, you know, those people have missed a lot of the move and then it dumps again. Then they panic and they sell and then they just goes over and over again. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's tough to pick up the bottoms is a way to best describe it. Um, it it's especially cause like at the bottom, by the way, is when market caps are relatively small and volatility is crazy, right? So it's like, ooh, Zephyr is 12. And you're like, ooh, I think it's a bottom. I think it's a bottom. Then it goes to six, right? Like these things move <laughs> fast at those That's levels. exactly why I don't want to fu- fucking throw a bunch of money in and then see Yeah, see those, the, these things move fast near the bottom. But at the same time, like, yeah, your volatility is the highest, but also your, your chance of upside is the absolute highest too. So you have to take the good with the bad. You're not, you, you can't get like a, you know, you can't get a 10x without the possibility of getting a, um, like, you know, an 80% retracement or whatever. It's just not going to be the case. Like, because it's always the small market caps that can move hard, right? So it's like, you're, you know, those are going to be ultra volatile. There's just no other way to go about it. Like, making a 10x right now in ETH, for example, is like, without leverage, I mean, get out of here. Like, you, like, you know, when is ETH going to, you know, what is it, 25 grand or something? No, who knows? Like that, yeah. <laughs> like who? God knows when. In other words, um, yeah. If it even gets there by then, because remember, there's a lot of layer one competitors and a lot of different things happening. Speaking of which, um, oh, what's his name was on here. He was trying to speak and I didn't let him. I guess um, he disappeared. I guess he'll come oh, back. Shit. My bad. We, we, yeah, when, when someone's pulls up, sometimes it's better to let someone get on because we we tend to ramble. Anyway, but like. Um, uh, interesting thing is, uh, did you see this new thing that came out today? Um, Chainlink released a thing called Functions, which is new. Um, so it's like product number seven or eight in the Chainlink lineup, which is interesting. So what Chainlink Functions is, is like, so assuming that your chain, in this case, Arbitrum is which one is we're talking about here. They, um, Arbitrum's already connected via CCIP, which is their cross-chain protocol, which access, which allows them to access any asset that also is on CCIP. Like the liquidity is interchangeable. So, for example, USDC um, is available on Chainlink now, so you could interchange between USDC um, easily. You know, so imagine it's just like a layer zero type of phenomenon where a chain can access stuff that's on CCIP. So the new thing that they added on Chainlink was the new beta for Chainlink functions. And what Chainlink functions is, is the ability to call specific um, sort of activities that require computation. So someone uh, that's running a Chainlink node is providing, I suppose, their computation in a decentralized manner. 
And you as a DAP or a game or whatever can call a function in that system and the computation is done, you know, like, you know, in a, in a computer that is designed specifically to take care of that function for you. And there'll be a, probably a variety of node operators that can perform those functions. Um, and it would be no different than like, I don't know, using GPU power or something like that to run an, you know, run a instance. In this case, simple functions or calculations or anything that needs to be done, instead of running it on your native blockchain, which then slows down the, right? When you have to do a bunch of, uh, like take, look at Cosmos with Cosmwasm or EVM, right? W what does it mean to be a smart contract chain? A smart contract chain may need to do some calculations to, um, to like, you know, to take care of whatever transaction you're doing. Well, when you have this chain link function system, now Arbitrum, for example, does not need to do all of its functions via EVM. It could do them via CCIP functions or chain link functions, which is really, really um, interesting because like uh, Celestia has focused on data availability. Chainlink is now doing this Chainlink functions thing, which means you can run, you know, and they'll have tons of different, what do you, like, what functions are we talking about here? Well, what, what that means is like any number of little packages of like um, software code they can introduce and you can run whatever code you need, um, whatever functions you need. So for example, if um, the same way they have a module for random number generation, now they have a, you know, if you need to do some standard functions, you can you know, plug in the variables and, you know, send the data through and it'll do the calculations for you. So, and then once these functions are available, you can share those with people. So let's say, for example, I create some cool function and I think it's useful in DeFi or some shit. Um, then uh, you could go use that on your, in your DAP. And so this is very similar to what Andromeda Protocol is doing on, on uh, Cosmos. So basically Chainlink just is making, to some extent, Andromeda Protocol somewhat obsolete as well which is interesting so like a lot of stuff Chainlink's doing is making a lot of other chains quite legitimately obsolete and the more of these capabilities are available on the same system uh like for example if Chainlink comes up with data availability like your celestia coin is going to go to fucking like tank so just be aware of this people like if, if Chainlink releases something like that why the fuck would anyone use, use celestia at that point you don't need to um, and they're doing that too. Like they're adding privacy functions. They're adding data availability. Um, Chainlink's adding a lot of interesting shit that's just truly breathtakingly good. And when you have it all in one place, right? And you're like, hey, I I'm now connected to this Chainlink CCIP system. Like every dApp in your blockchain or in your layer two or whatever it is can now interface with this stuff with relatively um, reasonable fees and such. And it's all paid with link tokens. So that whole thing is super bullish to me because I've been waiting for these kind of automation features for a long time. So what could you possibly do with this shit? I'll give you an example. So with Chainlink now, you have USDC uh, available. So that's like one thing you need is a stable coin. The second thing you need um, is some shit to trade, right? ETH or something, or you, like, for example, if you have mm, CCIP-based Ethereum um, coins, you can now trade those. Um, what else might you want? Uh, Paxos G was added to CCIP as well, which gives you gold, which is a gold-backed token. It's like a there's real-world gold, and then there's like a uh, token for gold, which is Pax G. And now you have that available, um, and then you have like this function capability. So now all of this shit that I've always wanted, which is to be able to just create a grid bot, 
which allows you to sort of like trade the volatility of, uh, let's say, BTC, a stablecoin, maybe gold to introduce slightly different directional volatility, and maybe add even some tokenized stocks, then ultimately what's going to be able to happen is now you can do all this computational shit in the background. Because if you go to KuCoin, for example, and you go use a grid bot, they have dedicated servers and computers doing all that computation, all those transactions. You, tr you try to run some sort of grid bot on a, on a damn um, blockchain-based system. As, and the reality is that most of these are like, you know how we talk about programmable money, like with smart contracts, they're programmable, but with a really shitty computer, right? Like, that's the problem is that like blockchain networks are terrible for computing. They're pretty good for storing data. They're pretty good for consensus and verifiable truth. They're not that great for generating like computation power. So when you have this chain link functions capability, if someone creates a, you know, like a system that's open source, it's let's say, for example, for grid bots, then any, any coin that you could possibly imagine that's connected via CCIP, any chain, any whatever, you could, you could then bot those using the chain link functions system and the DAP creator like let's say you're creating a dap drew like you won't need very much computational resources at your disposal you just simply pay the fees via the ccip system and if those fees are less than what you pay on kucoin kucoin charges like 0.3 percent per transaction or less depending on i don't know what features but the point is like if you can get cheaper on ccip than you get on kucoin or binance for fees it's going to become like this gigantic platform for bot traders who want to trade the volatility of um, all of these things that are being introduced via CCIP. So the problem in like Cosmos is a good example is you'll go to Kujira, right? The fuck you're gonna go trade over there? You're gonna trade like what? You know, whatever like the, you know, Manta tokens and Nutsack tokens, that's yeah, all fun and everything. But the reality is like none of those tokens are, are destined for, for necessarily like, um, you know, some sort of store of value status and they're gonna dump big time in a, in a bear market. So you're not really diversified when you use those. But when you use something like, I don't know, a mixture of a stable coin like USDC, you use like a PAX G, which is basically gold, you use like BTC, you can now credibly create like bots that can basically generate you quite a bit of yield. And you can do so with something like Chainlink um, with very low fees. And if you get like ultimately tokenized stocks also in Chainlink, which would be like DT. That, that stuff we talked about, DTCC, which is that um, stock clearinghouse, they're working with Chainlink. Then you could like, you could do a grid bot between like fucking Apple and Bitcoin, or you could take your Apple yield from your dividends, or let's say ExxonMobil, you own ExxonMobil stock and you got like 5% yield. You're taking that yield and you're porting that into like a bot that is trading like Pax G versus USDC volatility, and you're amplifying your gold yield and maybe doubling or tripling, like, I'm sorry, your ExxonMobil yield. And so you're just basically yield amplifying something. So all you have to do then is have a yield source, like a, a stock, that cash is flowing into the bot, and that bot is then just ripping along, making you money. Like, this is the magic of, of crypto and tokenization. It's like, it's what you can't do easily in stocks unless you, uh, like, unless you own, um, you know, like a serious quant trading company and you are at the source in the sense that like you're not paying a bunch of brokerages for fees. Like maybe you are a brokerage or you're a quant trading company that has like, I don't know what the name for it is, but you have like direct resources where you can trade and settle 
um, without a bunch of middlemen. Um, but crypto creates that possibility. And, and in particular, this chain link functions looks super sexy to me. The fact that they're putting this stuff out. The other thing that's, it would be interesting is that they have not actually, um, released yet, but like Sergey Navrov has been talking about is, um, releasing, um, uh, like they have verifiable randomness. That's their VRF system, but they have not released, um, their ZK, um, like privacy system yet so that like anything connected with CCIP now also gets the possibility of privacy. So that, for example, let's say you have USDC, um, on Arbitrum and you want to send it to, I don't know, like paste, you want to pay Starbucks because you want to, um, buy a coffee, um, you know, by going through like a ZK layer of some kind and, you know, it's almost functions sort of like a mixer in some sense, but the difference is, is that like, you know, uh, the record could be verified by like a tax authority or somebody, if you, if you provide the appropriate privacy keys or something, then, um, you can then now use your crypto to spend on shit. And imagine if all of that reporting, the tax reporting and the like, the conversion to privacy gets taken care of by Chainlink, and you can get a report of that, like exported to Coinly or something. But f the the Starbucks doesn't know how much money you have in your wallet because you're a billionaire. Um, then that makes it much much more straightforward to do payments. So it's cool about Chainlink CCIP is if you're a Visa, you're a Mastercard, you're an American Express, you're um, a bank, you're a whoever, you would connect to Chainlink CCIP, and blockchains would connect to CCIP you would never have like your blockchain go connect to your bank. It's not necessary. You need to have an intermediary and you want to have an intermediary that's not on a blockchain because you need a decentralized computational system, but not blockchain is too slow. So, and then even DAGs and things like Constellation DAG, and some of the other DAGs, um, the, the graph technology, even those are relatively slow. Um, so Chainlink is interesting in that you, you can create like specialized node infrastructures for each of these tasks. And certain numbers of computers can be tasks and uh, tasked to um, like provide that computational power, and you pay in link tokens to those people. So the way that the the chain link token works is it's a universal gas token. Anytime someone calls for a function on the chain link network, uh, calls for verifiable randomness, calls for um, like any kind of CCIP sent transaction, the blockchain that originates the transaction, let's say it's Kujira, would pay in Kuji tokens, but the in the background, that would be converted in CCIP to the, like, since Chainlink is by nature an Oracle service, it doesn't need a DEX. It can convert your Kuji at $3 to Chainlink at, you know, $14 and provide that transaction and uh, send that to um, the node operator to call your function that you want to run on Kujira. So that's kind of the cool thing about having a universal gas token. It doesn't matter what blockchain you are or what bank you are or whatever. You can just use whatever token you bring to the table, whether it's Kajira, Ethereum, whether it's whatever, and that allows you to pay for gas fees for any kind of functional uh, computation that you need on Chainlink's network. The whole fucking thing is super bullish, and the reality is like nobody fucking understands what this is. Like, how, I was looking at this. How exactly is the value extracted from those? And that might be a dumb question. How exactly is the value extracted from those other tokens? I, I well, re well, remember first off, like it's pure network effect. So if you have like all these different computational capabilities, including by the way, you're eventually going to probably have like file storage as well. 
So you could basically have like NFTs stored on the system without having to have, let's say, for example, um, like IPFS or some other like system to hold your NFT pictures, you know, your little JPEGs and things. And this becomes more and more decentralized on, on a system. And then if you pay for this with Link, right, then and the node operators are paid in Link or, or, and then ultimately stakers uh, can stake on those nodes, which locks up more of the Link token. You're basically providing utility for the Link token, right? You're creating a gigantic economy. It's what Luna never did. It's what Luna is trying to do now. Terraform Labs, what are they trying to do? They're trying to find some killer app, like a fucking DAO tooling, like Enterprise or whatever, and they're trying to find something to make an economy. And then if you have an economy, then you can build, you know, like things on top of that, you know, that, so that your coin is not just simply like pure speculative vaporware. So what Link is attempting to do, they did it backwards. Like initially Link had a fucking stupid token that didn't do anything, quite literally. It just didn't do nothing. Like it's like pointless. Like even the Oracle systems and everything weren't had paid with Link. It had no obvious value accrual mechanism at all. So that's a legitimate gripe by a lot of people that followed Chainlink, including myself. Like I never really cared that much about it except to speculate because I was like, what the fuck's this thing going to do? Like it doesn't do anything for the coin holder. Like, I don't get paid any yield. We don't get anything from it. Eventually, they opened up staking last year, and then that was kind of a limited thing. But all of these functions, man, it's like, over time, you can create definite, um, like, reasons why Chainlink's token value should go up because it's used for something. You're actually buying computation with it, ultimately, right? And um, it could get pretty interesting. Anyway, the thing is, like, they're executing really well. And if you say to yourself, like, wait, how many different projects in crypto have been able to provide all of this in one place? Yeah, outside of Chainlink, zero, zero. So Andromeda is an example on, on, on who, Andromeda is attempting to do what? They're trying to do like the automation type of thing. They're trying to do the functions concept that Chainlink is doing. Um, so they just released a, um, a coin and on Shade Protocol and they're opening up their Cosmos chain like in the next month or two, I think, I don't know when. Um, that's Andromeda. They've been working on this for a couple of years, right? Um, but the thing is, who's going to come use Andromeda? A bunch of Cosmos chains? And how long is that going to take for them to implement? Like a year or two? Like, like it's just not fast, right? It's not set up yet because, you know, like, um, and I don't know how good their user interface is going to be. Apparently, it's good. It's like GUI is pretty good. But I don't know that for sure. But the point is, like, there's a competitor. And Andromeda does that thing, but it doesn't do all the other things. Then you have Noise Protocol in Cosmos, NOIS. Um, it's a brand new chain. I don't know if its coin's been released, but it's coming out soon. And what is it doing? It's providing verifiable randomness. Well, guess what? Chainlink's already doing that. Well, fuck. So, like, there's another chain that's not necessary necessarily. And here's the thing. Let's say you're a DAP producer. You're, you're, a DAP, you're you built a DAP on Injective or something. Would you rather just connect to CCIP? And have all these functions in one place, and have one code base. Or are you going to funk? You're going to fucking connect to noise protocol for randomness because you're building a game, and you're going to you're going to connect to Andromeda for some functions or whatever. The, and then not only that, but let's say one of those systems doesn't work. Like, okay, well your fucking video game doesn't work because like one of those things is frozen for the moment. How how in the hell are you going to work? How are you going to like if you have the possibility of that portion of the network not working for periods of time? That's a problem. And if you've ever been around Cosmos, whatever, when people have done like upgrades or whatever, like you can't have systems that just stop arbitrarily, right? If you're calling a function on Chainlink or you're calling a function on CCIP, you need that shit uptime to you 100%. Am I right? Like, like what kind of 
system is going to work without 100% uptime. So the beauty of Chainlink here is like the way their nodes and things work, they're not blockchains. And you can create redundancies and whatnot so that like if some of the computers on that system aren't working, the rest of them will work fine or whatever. Um, and you can kind of rapidly roll out, um, uh, you know, one by, see, it's not a blockchain. So consensus is different. You can roll out um, upgrades to those various computers and not cause like, you know, hard forks and whatever the fuck else, right? Like, you know, that, that computer will just wind up being taken offline and hasn't done the upgrade. That's how that would work. So it's a very different system with, with Chainlink and how their nodes work than how blockchain works. The whole fucking thing goes to shit if like, you know, some fraction of the validators don't upgrade their software or some nonsense. So you can imagine what's going to happen. Arbitrum's already incorporating this stuff. Optimism did. GMX did. Um, SushiSwap did. I don't, think, I don't know if Uniswap has yet. But quite a few different uh, protocols have incorporated Chainlink CCIP and, um, and, and quite a lot more are in the business of doing so. I got news for you. The fucking DTCC is not talking to Kajura to onboard like all the world stocks. Like this is not a thing. Um, like nobody's talking to Injective about like, I don't know, onboarding, you know, Pax G or some other whatever, right? You would have to literally make some sort of arrangement with every single one of those companies that produces those coins and create a bridge of some kind and all that shit. Like this is just not going to happen. We have, how long have we watched crypto now? Like how much shit has showed up on, I don't know, pick a chain. Um, I don't know. Um, Juno or a Stargaze or um, or uh, whatever, right? Like the reality is that it's really, really hard to get those implementations. And even when we did, what did we get? We got like USDC via Axelar, and then like that's bridged into you know such and such decks. And then you have that Axelar coin. You're like, fuck, the liquidity pool is not as big for the Axelar <laughs> version of this. Why did I bridge the Axelar over? Or wait a minute, do I sell my Astroport token? and get Axelar tokens, or do I sell my Astroport token and get USDC via Noble or some other bullshit? Like the reality is like the user experience is bullshit and all these various bridge tokens uh, from the same fucking company, mind you, Circle, right? You might have like two different USDCs. What the fuck are you even doing? Like, like you know, no consumer wants this shit. Nobody's gonna be figuring all that stuff out. And the reality is one company wins in the end anyway, whichever has the most liquidity. So, you know, like, Going through all these hurdles, I think, in the name of decentralization, when in fact USDC is not even decentralized in the first place. It's a literally centralized company. <laughs> so this entire like mess that we create in Cosmos with um, is a problem, and I think uh, it's a problem with a serious competitor now. Like Chainlink is by definition like bearish for Cosmos. Like what they're doing basically makes IBC questionable in terms of whether it's useful or not. Because while Cosmos can generate as many app chains as you want, yes, the value accrual mechanisms that were theoretically being produced for um, like Cosmos-based systems, whether it's like running DYDX on there or running, um, you know, like faster versions of Cosmos, like Say Network or, you know, Andromeda for automation or noise for, for randomness. What you're finding is, is that that's all being produced by like literally one company. It's like, like Chainlink is trying to become like the Apple or the Google of the back end for the, um, for your blockchain functions, if that makes sense. Like, so operating systems are one of those things that like, when you get a monopoly in the operating system world, like Microsoft or Apple, 
if you get like monopolies or duopolies, it's really hard to unseat those guys, right? Like, like how hard is it now to create a smartphone to beat Apple or Google? It's not impossible, but man, is it's fucking hard. And the reason was why the, the reason is because like, you know, Uber has to make yet another app for your special operating system, for your special phone that you think is so good that you just invented. Like who's doing that exactly? Like if you go to Apple, you have like, I don't know, millions of apps on the app store, every random business, hospital, um, like, you know, over the past, you know, what, 2007 till now, look at how many apps were developed for Apple or Google marketplaces. Um, and like, is there room for another competitor? Hell, Microsoft tried to make a smartphone. But point is, operating system stickiness is really tough to replicate because if you're a blockchain like Arbitrum and you've now incorporated CCIP from Chainlink uh, and you can bring in tons of real world assets and gold and PaxG and whatever else, uh, why in the world are you going to then implement you know, Cosmos IBC also and then have a bunch of random tokens floating around, especially like random different USDC versions? Um, nobody wants this from a user experience perspective. People want like simplicity and they want to know that when they click a button, uh, that they're making the right choice as far as like, you know, a trade or what have you. So pretty interesting stuff. I think um, uh, this, this is kind of like why this new development from Chainlink with this functions thing is super bullish to me. Give me just a second, one minute. Okay, yeah, it's just some messaging, you know, meeting tomorrow. Um, anyway, yeah, the, oh, well, there goes that Zephyr. It's kind of popped about to 13 bucks just now. So is it 10? Now it's 13. Let's see. It, it needs to, like, Zephyr needs to break 25 to be a really solid reversal, in my opinion. If it breaks 25, it's pretty much off to the races, I think. Maybe 27. It tapped 25 a couple of weeks ago. Sorry for going AFK there. Um, yeah, no, no problem. You do your thing, finishing up at work. So. Oh, yeah, sure thing. Uh, no, like, yeah, if but, like, a, a reversal for Zephyr for me would be, like, 30 bucks plus. And, um, uh, but before that, could it dump more? Yeah, sure, why not? Um, but it's picking up some volume here. We'll see. But it's done this a lot. Like it'll it'll hit some level, it'll pop 10 bucks and then it goes down again. So like when does the disbelief when when am I like at this point, it's gone through kind of a capitulation curve down. We were talking about this. And um so you're gonna wind up being in disbelief and almost nobody will buy the bottom. Like I'll watch my timeline. I'll be like, I'll see who actually posts that I'm buying right now. And almost nobody's posted <laughs> buying. If I buy more Zeph. If I buy more Zeph, it's going to go down. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that too. But but also, it's going to be it's going market to be makers my, will be like, fuck yeah, let's take this down uh, more. This guy's going to be my largest position by initial investment, and there's just no way I can do that, man. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, it makes sense. Like, yeah, there's there's a there's a there's a case to be made that you've allocated enough to anything. If it goes down, fine, you write it down. If it, whatever, right? So, um, but you always kick yourself in the end because a lot of times the bottom is so much like. You can buy so many more coins at those prices compared to what you did before. You, you always kick yourself. Like, could my my classic one this last year was I didn't buy any more Akash tokens, AKT, because I was like, man, this fucking thing's overvalued even at the bottom. I'm like, I had a basis of like one or two dollars. It went down to quite like sixteen or seventeen cents at the bottom. I didn't bother to buy it at the bottom like I usually do, and it just—I wasn't paying attention at all, honestly. I, I, like, I guess the argument, though, is that that you know, even though you're overallocated, you can always swing out of it if it gets a pump, right? Yeah, so. and and yeah, exactly. But I was actually overallocated in Akash anyway. Like I was—I had too much, and it was down bad. It was like down ninety percent. I was like, ah, uh, 
I don't know. Like I should have just simply doubled or tripled my bag right there. It would have cost almost nothing to just basically just completely overwhelm my previous size. And I would have actually 10x that already and, and more, right? Instead, like I rode from like my $1.80 probably basis. And then I kind of sold it finally at like $3.10. But like that's after waiting a year and a half. So it's a pretty shitty, like, it's a pretty shitty and um, strategy on that one only because I wasn't paying attention. And it was because like, it just, I wasn't really sure. Was it going to pick up steam again for the next bull run? Right. Like I had my doubts. So, so I'm like you, I didn't allocate the bottom because I was kind of doubtful about um, whether buyers were going to come back to care about this thing or not. And that's always the thing too, is like, you really don't know for sure if the next cycle, someone's going to care about your fucking coin. Cause we have plenty yeah, so of examples. It almost doesn't matter if you were paying attention or not. It, it's just how it turned out. You know? It's just how it turned out. Yeah. I got lucky that it came back up and I, I got in the green and I was able to sell it or whatever. But yeah, did I know that was going to happen? Hell no. If I had known that was going to happen, I would have just bought more at 20 cents. Like why would I, why wouldn't I have, right? Um, with a 30 X at that point from the bottom or something like that. So yeah, it's, that's the thing too, is conviction is a question. And, and I think price does make our conviction waver because it's similar to how like um there are other consensus mechanisms like number of people mining a coin or the number of active users or transactions and all these type of mechanisms like one of the consensus mechanisms i think that we all have is price and our sense is that like the market is efficient and that it prices things based on what they should be valued over time and the longer time that goes by, the more true that value actually becomes. Um, the problem is, is that the market get becomes oversold and overbought all the time. Like, you know, you have lots of things that become overvalued and um, undervalued during that time period. And, um, you know, when they're undervalued, you're like, ooh, is this ever going to come back up again? Um, go look at the Intel chart, which is, you know, Intel, you know, the, the chip manufacturer. And you're like, good. You're like, damn, that thing went down a lot. It went down to like, this last market, Intel went down to its like dot-com levels, like dot-com dot crash level uh, prices for Intel. Um, look at AMD. I it just was, don't, yeah, I don't understand how that works, though. Don't they have uh, ownership of the x86 architecture? So don't they get royalties on every, every chip that's manufactured? I don't know. On any, I have, anywhere? I have no idea what they're getting or not getting. I'm just pointing out the stock price is like just completely wrecked. And um, it, like in oversold conditions, and but my point is, when it's at that level, people are not like, "Oh yeah, man, I'm buying, I'm jumping into Intel stock right now." That you didn't see that on the timeline at all. The bottoms, nobody's talking about them. Nobody wants them. They figure that everyone thinks the stock is stupid, the company's stupid, it doesn't have any much growth ahead of it, whatever the reason might be. But like, take for example, AMD stock in October 2022, which is just like a year ago, was fifty five dollars. AMD stock right now is $180, breaking all-time high, right? I was buying, I think, a little bit back in January or so, maybe 70-something dollars. So I just sold it because I'm like, ah, you know, maybe it'll run, maybe it won't. But, like, I've ridden enough of this move. I'm happy with it. But the point is, like, when these things were at their bottom, um, even big blue chips and stuff, like, people panic and they figure that, like, oh, it could just simply go down more or whatever so wherever the bottoms are like you rarely find people buying them um because uh like people are like so for example amd was um was in 2021 it was like 165 dollars. it went all the way down to 
$55 at the bottom in October of 2022. Let's say you had bought at 103, right? So you had been down from 160 to 103. Okay, that was a small peak. And then from there, it dumped again to 54 bucks. But like, if you still had it now, you'd be at 180 and you're still ahead, like 80% off your buy. Um, and if you had scaled in, let's say you bought some at 100 and you scaled in all the way down, you're like, ooh, this is really oversold. What the hell? Um, I'm going to buy some here. Then you would have done really well for yourself by now. But the reality is everyone says they're going to buy the bottom. They look at a chart and they spend all this fucking time charting things, by the way. Don't get me like, look how many people sit around analyzing their fucking stock charts and stuff. And then when the bottom actually shows up, they find reasons not to buy. Um, I think everyone does it. Like, it's just obvious. Like, you watch timelines and no one's saying, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm all in, you know, I'm buying Link right here at 1360 or whatever. Like, it doesn't matter if the top might be 140 for the bull market. It's like, oh, that could go down more. I'm not buying that. You know, so it's, it's just, it's a type of greed, really. And it, at the bottoms, it's a special type of panic and greed because when you're at really small market caps, the volatility is extreme, right? Like if you go all in on some coin, let's say it's at $10 and it goes to five, your bag, your, 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 your world just dropped by 50%. You're not happy, right? You're just not. And so it's, it's, it's really easy to get really upset about these things. And then like when it goes and does a five X, you're like, Oh, okay. You're in the green, but like you've paid your dues because you ran, you wrote it down, but, um, or, or added on the way down or whatever it is. But so many alts right now have pulled back, like Kajira at 318. Like I bought it five and I bought it like 380. Um, and I and I had some from way low. But like it's it's down to a, one of its fib supports now. So it has so eight is its level. So um that gives you an example. Like it's probably at a position to grab some. And then if it drops to its 200 day moving average about two dollars, then you just basically go all in or something. Like, you know, like uh, but there's yeah, there's some strategies to this, but you have to have a plan way ahead of time. Is is your bandwidth completely spent on alts? Like you're you're not gonna look for any others going forward or or, or um I don't know. My, are, are you are you married to your bags at this at point? At this point, like uh well, first off, like I've allocated most of my liquid assets to what I want to. Um, in order to sort of, uh, if, if I were to like, want to suddenly like add more things, I got to go find something to go sell. What would I sell if the opportunity came about? Maybe I would sell some stocks and things. Um, but, um, do, do I feel a strong sense of urgency at this moment? No, I would say like if Chainlink drops below 10 bucks again, I'm going to go sell stocks, which is more my stable bag. Like. Uh, trading stuff. No chance of you selling Adam, is there? Um, Adam, I don't know. Like uh, Adam's performance has been terrible lately. I'm not sure what I'm going to do with my Adam. Um, like, <laughs> oh, also, when's the last time you owned ETH? Um, mm, I bought a little bit, like at 2100, and I sold it at like 2300, and I bought Zephyr with that at like I was part of my bag. I bought Zephyr with it like six bucks. So that was the last time I bought some ETH and any ETH I bought back in. So I bought some ETH back at a hundred, was it a hundred bucks? Fuck, what was it back then? Yeah. Like right around like, um, the 80 to $120 levels. Last time I bought any substantial ETH, that's just sitting there. I don't play with that. I figured it's the moon bag. If something happens, it does well. Great. Um, and that's done fine yeah, so far, right. but that was, that was a while back. That was like the crash of like fucking 29, 2018, 2019 or whatever is when I last bought ETH at any significant uh, amount. 
uh, that's that story I told. It's like some dude I that I was talking to is like, oh yeah, I'm buying a I'm buying a ten million dollars worth of ETH, and I'm like, what? Um, really? And he's yeah, it's yeah down, that guy's a literal down ninety five percent. I'm like, all right, okay. So I, I just sort of copy traded and I bought some ETH at the time. I wasn't really into DeFi or anything at the time, so it wasn't like I made some sort of Chad move or some shit, or I knew what I was doing. I just literally was not paying attention to the DeFi space at all. Like I don't go to conferences and shit, so I don't have like. Um. Anyway, so um. Anyway, but yeah, see, so take for example, right now, Zephyr's putting in a pretty solid candle to thirteen eighty, right? So let's see what kind of volume we have here. Um, not on a lot of volume, but um, let's see here. But see what I mean? Like, if you had bought Zephyr at ten fifty. <laughs> like yesterday and now it's at 13 dollars already at the moment it's just putting a straight line up so what happens with microcaps is when the fomo begins man like people fucking go crazy like you'll have candles just go straight up and you're like what in the fuck just happened like it was like when zephyr went from 6 to 52 when these things go straight up they go straight up and there is no like most people, what they'll do is they'll buy like the FOMO on the way up again. And the people that like had the balls to buy the bottoms usually make all the money. Typically is how this works. Um, yeah, there's no, no guts, no glory with this stuff for sure. Yeah. Some, somewhere in the middle I bought, I think my first, first Zeph buy was like 18 or $19. Mm -hmm. And again, at uh, 32, 43. And then on the way back down, Again, thirty-two, a whole bunch around twenty-five, twenty-six. Yeah. Well, what we didn't, what we didn't know is exactly like that. The alts, the altcoins would take a big dive already, right? So they, the entire altcoin space pulled back. It wasn't just this. And what happens when the alts pull back is that like the liquidity just sort of dries up all of a sudden. Because remember, the, the, the overall market liquidity is like five percent of the market caps of all the coins out there. So when numbers go down, like people feel poor really quickly, right? Like, so like, think about this. Let's say you have, I don't know, 10K in your bank account, let's make up a number. And your, your coins are all mooning and they're, you're, they're, you're, it's like, they're, they're, you know, your, your bag looks like it's worth 100K. Well, guess what? People are gonna be like, hey, you know what? I'm gonna throw a thousand bucks of my 10K that's in my bank account. I'm gonna throw it at some more shit because I feel lucky now because like, you know, they feel like they're so in the green that they could, they could risk some. That's, that's the behavior. And so when everything goes down, everything just goes straight down. Nobody's buying shit because no one has the actual money. And they probably didn't have money to begin with. But the thing is, like, they're, they're, they're now feeling really, really reluctant to gamble. And so the bottom is exactly where uh, – the bottom of the market is exactly where no one actually has the guts. Because not only are they're not convicted on their coins and things, but on top of that, their overall portfolio is down and they feel like, ooh, I shouldn't be taking any more risk. So you, you did it too, like when you picked Ethereum at the bottom instead of like picking alt at the bottom, right? Uh, same kind of concept. It's true, it's true but, but, yeah, but you're it's what people do though, I'm just saying. Like, bear run. It's, it's, yeah, it's just what people do. Like, uh, you know, like I went to really high risk like in stocks during the, the, the bottom, like when banks were all failing, I was like, fuck this, I'm buying all the banks. I bought Zion and I bought like Truist and I bought like, I don't even know, First Bank or a bunch of banks and they all popped 40%. I'm debating if I should sell them now, you know, because like <laughs> they, they might crash again now that yeah, you here. probably should. There's there's a lot of banking sector funds, yeah, and, and I hear about it every day. There's more exactly. So I might, but at the same time, the price I bought these things were so low 
they're obnoxiously low and their dividend yields are so high that if I sell them, it's very hard to get those yields again at those prices. That's true. But I mean, you're all, you're already in the long-term capital. You're, yeah. Exactly. Uh, well, no, here, I'm, I'm not quite good. long-term yet. So that's the other thing. So it's like, uh, it'd be short-term capital gains. I got to lose like 40% or whatever. And then on top of that, I've got like, um, yeah. So, and then I'm getting these dividends that are really juicy. So the thing is like, let's say the stock drops 10% from here. Um, it, that's one year's worth of dividends. I'll get them back, right? Because I bought these things when their dividends were like literally like ten to twenty percent range. Like it was, God, man. It was, I pay absolutely no attention. To yeah, I, I bought stocks when the dividends were absolutely blisteringly high. Like, like it's so so absurd how high my dividend yields are. Like at this point, from yeah, from just the last year, that's like that's a that's a blue blood mentality. Yeah. So like that that type of dividend yield is really really good. It's just basically straight owning the business at that point. If you could own if you could own shares at a level where you're making 10 to 20% dividends, dude, owners of actual businesses don't always make that much in actual return, right? That's pretty damn good. So it's like, you know, you, you basically, that's just like free money forever at that point, especially if you have um, companies that are going to last. Um, that's not always the case, of course. But like, remember back during the crash, you had companies like during the COVID crash, ExxonMobil stock was like $25. It's now like 90 something, right? So, and the dividend relative yield was like 15% or something obscene. So like you were basically getting like cheap, ultra cheap ExxonMobil stock and dividends that would pay you for the rest of your life, essentially, um, at a very high rate, which would be much like, like you're doing better than had you bought a rental property or some shit, right? Like that's how good, some of those yields are when you when you get the bottoms. That's that's why I did that. But the point is, like when I was doing this, like and we were talking on crypto, you know, spaces and stock talk and whatever else, you know, people would be buying different. They'd be doing their usual gambling or whatever. But the the number of people I saw that are like, oh yeah, I'm loading up on fucking Exxon Mobil or whatever it is. Like almost nobody was claiming this. Like, and I think it's true that they're just nobody's buying the bottom of anything. Like I think most the problem is most people I, literally it's anathema. Forward. This is this is the truth. Like it's anathema for me to hold stablecoin. Like I have to hold crypto. I can't hold stablecoin. It drives me crazy. I'm with you. I'm with you. That's why you also like that's why I have the same problem. So it's like, you know, there's there'll be times I'll be a bag holder for a few years and then like I'll just keep throwing money into to crypto over the years like while I'm working. So yeah, there is a tendency for me to like mm, yeah, buy stuff with my new money coming in as opposed to like having a bunch of stables ready to go for sure. So, because, so it does it just, help it, it, have income coming in. So, yeah. You know, and I've kind of resolved never to put another dollar into crypto. I either make it or don't based on what, like I've had in since 2021 or 2022. And so yeah. that bag like grows and shrinks and. I'm definitely uh, at that point where I could just leave my shit alone. I, I, I agree with you. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm at that same point in a sense. Like I tend to want to, I'm, I'm like lucky. I want to push some buttons on the fucking phone and like do things. So like, I think some of it's just like, I enjoy playing the video game. It's not so much. It's like going to Chuck E. Cheese over and over again. It's not really like I have to make money on it or not. It's like, it's just fun. <laughs> like, you know. And, yeah. Uh, but, but then it does sting when these opportunities come, it stings to be like, I don't have more. I, instead I have to choose like which thing I'm going to sell under because i think yeah. something else like which which accordion is going to expand out like first you know right because well, everything's I mean, compressed the warren buffett way is sort of like to always have like 40 percent of all your assets in cash yeah 
Um, but that assumes that like when the opportunity arises, you pick the right shit to buy. And that's not always right. the case either. So that's a tricky thing. Um, especially if you're, you were in cash, he was really wrong. Warren Buffett was quite wrong about the nature of the stock market the previous like five years. Um, to the extent that like he underperformed considerably because he was, his, he was in too much cash, um, which was an interesting side, you know. So just because you do the cash on the side route doesn't automatically guarantee success either. So that's why this time, like this last year, I was like, ah, stocks are pretty decently valued. Uh, like crypto's valuations had been wrecked. You know, I don't give a fuck. I'm just going to buy a bunch of everything. with. So all my in all of our income, pretty much all of it, anything that we hadn't spent on any kind of, you know, like real world, <laughs> whatever, like I pretty much spent all of our uh, money and invested all of it. Every penny almost that came in over the last two years, I invested everything is my plan. So, um, you know, just when dividend yields are doing like the stocks are exorbitantly low and the relative dividend yields are high and then cryptos wrecked in a bear market, et cetera, et cetera. It seemed like a good enough plan. And it worked out well, like, um, cause I did buy everything to the very bottom. So it's like I added to say, for example, my Adam bag at the bottom, it, it went down to like, I don't know, seven bucks or below. And I picked up some at seven. So like my average went down from, I don't know, maybe 12 to maybe 10. Plus there was like yield from the Adam too, which was like, over two years, that's 40% inflationary yield. So my cost basis probably came down to like, I don't know, maybe nine, probably under $9. It's not bad, right? So like, if you think about that, like, it's not so I didn't really gain a whole lot off of it. At the same time, I'm typically I'm not really at a, at a loss either. And if you know, now, is it going to do well long term? I don't know, like, uh, maybe someone that knows about this shit can come up. I don't know if Phil does been paying attention or anybody else. But like, this Adam worst thing that's going on, I don't know what the fuck they're doing, but they're trying to create some kind of like, you know, reason to have like, Adam is some sort of governance, you know, like kind of like a curve wars type of thing. And I don't know, you think that's going to make any dent, Grin? Or have you paid attention at all? As far as like, you know, people wanting to hold Adam tokens. Grin, you there? Am I disconnected? Anyway, so just some stuff coming out, but I don't know how much, I'm not sure how much impact it'll have to the value of the coin or whatever. Um, the, the, the trouble with Adam has been like, the founders don't feel like shilling it. Um, and on the other hand, people haven't created like a dominant use case for it. So it's a bit of interchain money. And even the interchain money narrative, what's his name? Jay Kwan doesn't like the concept of calling interchain money. He's like, don't, oh, it's not money. It's just securing the hub. And I'm like, okay, well, what the fuck's the hub for then? Um, you're like, to secure the Atom token. <laughs> like, what's the Atom token for? To secure the hub. Well, shit. And then you go to like, um, what was a bit irritating too is like, I would go on Astroport or somewhere. And, you know, like, there are not a lot of necessarily automatically deep liquidity pools for atoms. So now you're trying to trade some shit. And it's like you're, you're still facing slippage, despite the fact that it's supposed to be interchain money. So the problem is with Adam is like a lot of the blockchains, like whether it's injective or whoever, they want to bring value to their own coin. Like Terra wants to bring value to Luna, they don't want to bring value to, to Adam. So to some extent, nobody's incentivized to have you take your money from their chain and go to another chain. And certainly no one's incentivized to value accrue to Adam versus their own token. So you've got this basically circular logic with Adam. It needs to sort of um, 
I'm not sure what it needs exactly, honestly, but um, I think like if, and then on top of that, now you have Chainlink as a competitor to IBC. Um, that's pretty concerning, especially the reach of Chainlink uh, in terms of its industrial reach um, with different financial institutions and stuff. So I kind of spent some time watching some of the old videos um, that the Chainlink people put together regarding like their conversations with people from DTCC, the people from Swift, and they have an ongoing pilot project that combines DTCC and Swift, the biggest fucking money movers on the planet with between the two of them. And nobody knows who DTCC is. And I mean, I certainly don't know a whole lot about stock clearing and shit, but looking up what they do, it's like, God damn, those are big institutions. Like, and, and what is the, what are we doing in Cosmos? Have we done anything like that? Fuck no. Has anyone done like anything like that magnitude in Ethereum? Hell no. Um, so the reality is like Chainlink is pushing a boundary that like the Ethereum folks and the Ethereum um, subcomponents, like for example, Polygon or whoever, people like talk about how interesting business development is in Polygon. Like DTCC, if that fully materializes with Chainlink, that dwarfs everything crypto's ever done. If they materialize being a backend for Swift, that um, dwarfs anything crypto's ever done in terms of just transactional value. So that's why I became sort of like a lot more bullish about Chainlink after really researching it more closely. I'm like, wait a minute, like I know the Link people have been talking about this for a while now, and I'm like, I, you know, I didn't bother to go figure out what the fuck they were talking about just because I was, you know, maybe too busy or bored to do so. And after digging into it, I'm like, uh oh, like the the like these are everything Chainlink's doing is a competitor to multiple things that people have been trying in Cosmos in smaller scale. And this is like the, you know, an Apple style, do everything sort of platform where like, if you learn how to hook your blockchain up to that thing, you now have access to the world. Like if you're Uber, are you going to put your app on the iPhone? Or are you going to put your app on Nokia's latest creation? Are you going to put your app on the iPhone? Or are you going to put it on like, you know, I don't, you know, whatever you, you see my point. Like the, the reality is like, everything in one place is really, really attractive to people. And um, uh, having reasonable elements of decentralization while only having to learn one platform uh, is a really, really um, attractive thing for a, a DAP builder or a programmer or whatever. So um, that's really bullish for something like Link, but pretty bearish for things like IBC and Cosmos, unfortunately. So not to say that Cosmos won't keep growing and everything. I think it will. But, you know, I, I messaged Shane with Stargaze. I'm like, dude, you really need to look at just incorporating CCIP into Stargaze. He's, I was like, have you looked into this thing? And he's like, yeah, we've been looking at that and some other competitors. I'm like, look, like you have Circle already, USDC direct on CCIP, meaning like if you have, if you're CCIP enabled and someone has a CCIP enabled wallet, they could literally just go straight from their Coinbase USDC or whatever, and they don't even have to swap to shit. They don't have to go to convert to Atom and get to Stargaze. They don't have to do anything. They could literally buy Stargaze. I mean, they could buy an NFT using USDC on ETH directly in the wallet with no bridges, with no um, cross-chain, what do you call it, these aggregators. There's no more TFM. There's no more squid router, none of that shit. All that becomes obsolete with CCIP. Think about that for a minute. Like, who's not going to be attracted to that capability to bring that kind of liquidity together? And then with each new, with each chain that decides to incorporate that, it becomes even less likely that another similar protocol is going to win 
because like how many of those protocols do you really need? Like we have TCIP for TCIP, TCP IP for the internet. How many internet protocols do you think we're going to have? Like you, like all of our web browsers and everything were on the same damn thing. And the whole world has been running on that shit since this time it began. And like, they keep iterating it and updating it and, you know, doing, you know, IPv6 or whatever it is. But like, the point is that um, once you have a system that everyone's on, it's very difficult to create a brand new system that everyone wants to also be on. It takes generations to do that, um, as far as we can see. And um, CCIP is looking like it's going to be what IBC wishes it could be. I think the thing about IBC with Cosmos is I don't think it has that level of funding or reach. Um, and the other problem is that the assumption that blockchains are going to be where this type of activity re resides. And I think the beauty of Chainlink system is it's not a blockchain, so they can scale to infinity, whereas um, blockchains have to just keep on adding chains or side chains or who the fuck knows what else. And um, it, again, good for consensus, but not good for execution. And then... Um, you know, and then data availability is another blockchain with Celestia and blah, 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 you know. But, like, the reality is that it wouldn't shock me at all if, like, between ZKs for privacy and um, and um, execution and data availability, that Chainlink probably does everything pretty soon. Like, that functions thing just came out today, I think. Arbitrum is the first one to run the beta on it. Um, and that's a, like, really, really important, like, thing that I think um, is very, very, like, all of this is underpriced for the Chainlink coin. So, like, the, the reason I'm ranting about this a little bit is because, like, the question he was asking me was earlier, um, before Drew dropped off, was, like, you know, are you going to keep fumbling around different coins, or do you have some conviction things? And at this point, like, just looking at what Chainlink's capable of, I'm, I'm a lot more convicted in it now than I was, like, a few years back, like, tremendously so. It's very, very impressive. Um, and I think like all of the cool shit that I want to see happen or what I would like to trade or how would, I would want to like play the Chuck E. Cheese that I want, you know, like the, the arcade that I want, it looks like it could be built on CCIP. And that's really exciting to me and easily too. like once you have CCIP running and shit and you've incorporated that and you like if you create a brand new blockchain today, it's like you make it CCIP native immediately. You make a wallet today. You make it CCIP native immediately you will have like tons of assets and tons of users available to do cool shit with immediately, right? You would have immediate access to anything on like CCIP based Arbitrum, Optimism, uh, on like GM, I think, uh, who else is connected? Uh, I think maybe not, maybe not DYDX yet, but I think GMX might be. Um, so yeah, like the point is like the different assets and the different tokens between all these different protocols, you can, you could trade them on your blockchain at a whim and um it just makes it really really easy to not only spin up a blockchain but has all have all of the neat features you need as a, like a computing platform already ready to go in addition to whatever your blockchains um like wasm has or like cosm cosm wasm or evm like you have all of those features on top of whatever programming your 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 blockchain can do and you're not necessarily limited to like you know, uh, oh, like this chain has everything in Rust or, you know, this chain has everything in Go. You don't really have to know a lot of blockchain programming because ultimately CCIP has its own sort of like functions and almost like a programming language to some extent. And you'd be able to connect to that, no problems. Pretty interesting stuff in the sense that like, who really wants to have like, you know, it's the same as EVM, how EVM became really popular because like ever, all the money went to EVM chain with Ethereum. What if like you have the CCIP layer 
with Chainlink and like you don't have to learn too much shit to be able to incorporate randomness, incorporate oracles, incorporate like you know USDC or whatever else is on on this ecosystem. So yeah, the ease of development and implementation is really really huge. Um, it's partly why like iPhone was really successful. Why? Because Steve Jobs um, created a very very usable product in the form of um, iOS. It actually wasn't Steve Jobs. It's actually more Chris Latner that did it. But the, whatever. The point is, like, the the iOS was very useful, and then on top of that, the App Store was useful. And on top of that, all your shit you could have to do, you could do in one place. And um, you know, creating a really really great computing platform for all the developers to show up and make money. And then who makes a lot of money? Facebook made a fuck ton of money using these ecosystems. Um, like you know, tons of companies made tons of money using those app stores and ecosystems. That's what Chainlink looks like it can accomplish is, um, and it actually, what's weird about Chainlink is it makes a lot of shit obsolete. That's the other problem. Like, so a lot of blockchains, you know, I mentioned a half dozen of them already, like there's not a really obvious need for them if a lot of the functions can be um, on that core platform. And that's why they're trying to become sort of the monopoly Chainlink is in that um, this is the reason why today you have a Google phone, you have Android, you have Apple, but you don't have like a dozen you know, I think China has some platforms, but you, you don't have like a million different um, smartphones the same way you're not going to have a million different blockchains for these same things. Because really, like the number of financial things that most people want to do, you can count on one hand, lending, borrowing, trading stocks, trading commodities, some real world assets and whatever else. And, you know, the, the system that can bring the most of that together in one place, that's a system that wins. There is no, there's, there's rarely a second best uh, the Android thing with Google was an interesting time in that somehow or another, the Google engineers and folks were actually working on operating systems simultaneously as iOS people were. And they were able to sort of credibly bring forth Android in a reasonable time period and bring it to popularity in a reasonable time period. And they basically gave it away as open source or whatever to uh, developers on different phones. And they were able to get it to critical mass. But um, uh, like... At this point, there is not, um, as far as we know, anybody that has the reach of Chainlink in the in this um, like crypto ecosystem. That could change. Like maybe you know somebody copies them within a couple of years, they get second mover advantage or something. Uh, Apple is not always the first mover on everything, uh, except for iPhone. Um, so so it's not like you you automatically win if you're first, but. Um, odds are certainly much better. You're going to get a gigantic market share, similar to how Ethereum got a gigantic market share, share by being the first smart contract platform. Um, it, it did help, of course, to have Vitalik at the helm as well, but uh, you have to have some super genius working in the background. But at the same time, you have Sergey Navrov, who is one of these you know, giga geniuses, quite frankly. like um, it, It's interesting now that fucking Cardano the you know academic chain or whatever you want to call it is actually undervalued compared to link it's remarkable like the 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 differences cannot be even like understated in terms of how much more capable chain is going to be as far as a computing architecture super interesting anyway that's enough sort of bullishness there people have questions about that <laughs> like let me know but like um so yeah back to the reason why i'm not playing with too many micro caps i have a few micro caps i like that i'll you know i like enjoy them i think the communities are fun. They pump, whatever, great. But if you're saying like, where am I going to put substantial portions of my net worth that I think has a good mixture of upside and maybe like risk mitigation, 
I think that magic play, the the sort of Goldilocks in the in crypto right now, I think is Chainlink, and it's and it's relatively undervalued in my opinion. Um, and and not only that, but it it hasn't done you know some sort of mega pump already like a Solana. It hasn't had like an influencer base that has gone crazy, you know, shilling it. Um, and um, as it behaves more and more like a layer one in terms of connectivity, I think, uh, and it becomes like a computing platform, almost like iOS sort of thing. Then I think you start seeing people realize what it is as more and more developers incorporate it. And then they start pouring their money into it, et cetera, et cetera. And, it, and then it pumps. So like, um, yeah, I think like the the balance of not necessarily the highest upside. Maybe there's other shit that pumps hundred x in the bull market. Maybe it only goes ten x. But I think the the risk benefit ratio for Link, where I can put a large sum of money, is better. It's the same reason why people buy Ethereum. Like they feel like it's a blue chip, right? I think Link is sort of the undervalued, relatively modest market cap blue chip at this moment. Um, and I let me see what its market cap actually is right now. It is I think around eight or nine bill, which is not crazy. Um, let me see here, link. Um, anyway, but these are kind of like my bull cases for it. Um, and yeah, if there's people that have like reasons why it won't be hop on and tell me why, uh, if you think there's other things that are like better competitors, let me know. Cause I'd rather not, um, be in my own bubble as far as that's concerned. There are other companies working on real world assets and some other things. Um, I don't know if like. But the thing is, the way Chainlink's CCIP network works is, let's say someone else does create some real-world a- assets portal. Like, let's say Realtor.com or whoever, Zillow, decides they're going to tokenize um, real estate. Um, are they going to want to create the infrastructure to have all blockchains connect to them? Or are they going to just simply be CCIP enabled and then you you route those real estate tokens through CCIP and go to all the other blockchains? I think the the use of Chainlink as a middleware makes, makes way more sense. Why in the fuck would Zillow want to maintain a token infrastructure of some kind and worry about hacks and other bullshit? No, they just want to like, they want to confirm that, you know, this house actually exists. It has uh, uh, maybe, a, you know, appraisals done on it or whatever. Maybe they have connectivity for tokenization via the, um, like the real estate, um, local jurisdictional governmental agencies, like, um, the appraisal districts and stuff for your local towns and that that gets tokenized somehow and then all of a sudden your coin actually shows up and the coin actually has properties like an nft like okay this thing has been inspected by an official inspector in the last year it has been appraised by a city inspector in the last year its appraisal value is this much this is the amount of taxes that person is paying the the people are up to date on their taxes for paying for that house blah 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 and maybe like you know it, it so the, the nft or whatever that comes from that some company is going to put that together and do all the background shit. But when like, once you want to float that NFT into cyberspace, you would put it into NFTs via the CCIP background protocol. That way you can port that NFT into Arbitrum, into Optimism, into, you know, into Stargaze or whatever the fuck else. You can send it anywhere, essentially, that's CCIP enabled. Zillow does not want to fucking figure out which blockchain is going to win or not, right? They're not going to be like, oh, yeah, like, Maybe uh, Ethereum's going to win, and maybe on Ethereum it's going to be Arbitrum. Now they don't give a shit about any of that. Their their point's going to be like, we want our tokenized house to have the greatest visibility possible for our consumers or whoever's paying for this service, and we want that to go everywhere, you know, that money can possibly travel. And that way, that's why you need a layer zero to happen. People on Ethereum always thought, hey, 
this is going to be Ethereum. We're going to be the world computer. We're going to be the world's layer of money. The problem is the fucking thing wasn't scalable. It's like you go to a certain point and it's like no one's paying $200 to trade their fucking house NFT token. Like that's just ridiculous, right? Like, like it's like paying real estate agent fees again. Um, so uh, doing it on a layer one blockchain, um, you know, and doing the token layer there just doesn't make full sense. So the concept there is that ultimately this gets done on a, on a different layer and um, Chainlink seems like it could be that layer. And the, the value accrual mechanism to the link holder is that link would be used as a gas token to facilitate these. And Chainlink gets basically the network effect. They get the brand name, they get all the users. And as a result, there'll be some speculative price pumping of the token on top of whatever like use case the token might have with for paying for services in the ecosystem. So as a utility token, the more functions that are created, well, the more services that are created by Chainlink, functions is the new one that came out today, um, CCIP, verifiable randomness, all these different things that they're providing, node infrastructure, you would pay for it in Link tokens and that creates theoretically a utility. So people talk about how they want utility for crypto. Like we want to buy real world shit with our crypto. Well, here you go. You're going to get real world computation by being able to pay for it in Link tokens. And the type of companies and whatnot they're going to use that the most are the biggest protocols. Like, for example, GMX uh, incorporated Chainlink and CCIP, for example. So they're paying fees. And if you hear what the GMX folks said in the last AMA, they're like, yeah, it's expensive, but it's worth it because like, the consumer gets the benefit of accurate Oracle services. You get really good trade execution. You're sure that you're getting good price um, feeds off of the Chainlink Oracle system. And on top of that, like with CCIP, we can ultimately have access to more assets as they come into play so that on GMX, more shit can be traded, right? Um, so all of that is sort of like, um, you know, the, these big platforms incorporating Chainlink and CCIP is super bullish that like the, the, the top platforms in, in DeFi and whatever are really interested. So, uh, you know, I don't know. It's like, they could be all be wrong. Like, and I could be wrong and the whole thing goes to zero. So don't like, don't take my word for it. Only, only risk in these things, what you can afford to lose and yada, yada, yada. But I'm, I'm comfortable personally um, on this one. Um, and, and I've been comfortable with other things before that have gone really badly. So that doesn't mean anything like <laughs> that you're going to get out of it in one piece. So I always watch for the volatility. Um, and um, no matter how bullish I sound, like these things can dump 50% overnight uh, at the drop of a hat. So um, always uh, keep that in mind. Uh, don't go fucking shoot the messenger. Um, most people don't research fucking nothing. So like, it's like when you have someone saying, oh, I've read this and I've read that, at least someone's reading something. Um, and if someone's done any more research and knows more, please hop in, chime in. I'm willing to hear about any kind of like, uh, whether it's negative or positive, I'd love to hear it. Um, but like Chainlink's biggest negative, in my view, has always been the, the relatively high token allocation um, to the team. And now they're using some of that allocation to distribute it uh, to some of the node. They're paying some of the node art infrastructure as a promotional type of thing where they're giving like a certain amount of almost free link out to new node operators to sort of bootstrap the network. And um, we've heard that before with Anchor Protocol members. So like anytime you're having to bootstrap a network with money, um, you just have to make sure that at some point that becomes profitable. And um, at least Chainlink is working on ways to ultimately make all of their computing structure profitable. 
so that is a a serious concern on their mind. Um, so that like they as a company are profitable, the node operators who run the system are profitable, and therefore the consumers are not getting a free service. They're getting a service that people are paying for, but they're getting good quality uh, data um, execution and oracles, whatever it is that they provide. So um, that that's kind of a good thing from their end. But their team token allocation, if that would be considered bearish. They are using team tokens as opposed to external VC money to cover the cost of some of this infrastructure. So that is causing some dilution in circulating supply to linked token holders at this moment and will be so for the next years. So that could be bearish in that like that could impair some of the price action to the upside. Um, but um, you know, I don't think the inflation is anywhere near like what Adam has or something like that, though. So. Um, I don't remember how many coins it is per day or whatever, but um, it's it's a substantial amount. I don't know the exact numbers, but um, point is like um, most blockchains have some security type of concept to them where you get some dumping from teams and whatever. So that's the biggest Twitter FUD. It's like, oh, Sergey's dumping on us all and whatever. Um, and you know, like so far, if it if you, you know, you could probably take to heart that FUD more seriously if. Chainlink hasn't been accomplishing anything. If all they were doing was sitting around and claiming the inflation and validators are getting paid, your bags are going down, then you'd be pissed. But the fact that like Chainlink's come up with like product after product, the verifiable randomness and, and the functions thing that they released today in beta for Arbitrum and the CCIP protocol and NFT cross-chain and all those things, if they hadn't been producing anything, you say, okay, they've been just fucking around with my money and they're just spending, you know, Sergey's, um, you know, you know, just buying cool shit and um, I'm sitting here poor. But, you know, he's a pretty modest character. He's always got his plaid shirts on, sitting there with his tennis shoes, uh, chilling. And he doesn't give a fuck like about flaunting any kind of wealth or anything. And he doesn't seem like the type of person that really just blows a bunch of money on nonsense. So, you know, he's got the right vibes to me. Um, he also doesn't have the weird, cheesy vibes of the Charles Hoskinson. Um, and um, he seems to have the ear of like a lot of the the financial industry types um and uh, uh i think ccip is definitely in the running to be the financial base layer of like the human network that's pretty impressive like that's a, it's uh it's a serious uh sort of like achievement unlock if they can do this um very exciting stuff um be super uh, so i i think like if one was holding on to chainlink um, I think some of the link marine crowd is correct. Like one should have a time horizon for chain link. That's probably neighboring like five to 10 years. It's one of these things that like, it is not very often you get access to something of this magnitude that could be that big. Like we thought that would be the case for Luna US two too. Luna UST too, by the way, like the, the, like there's only few instances where something this big might come along. And if it's successful, it does really well. If it doesn't, it goes to zero. This is one of those similar things in that, like, if this becomes a serious base layer for the uh, financial system of the world, not just crypto, but just financial ecosystem of the world in general, you're talking about truly trillions and trillions, quadrillions of dollars of money moving here and there, and the tokenization of everything, which, by the way, everyone in the financial industry is excited about. Like, I think some surveying organization we looked up the other day, DTCC posted a posted a blog post on their website and said like their surveys or whoever someone did some surveys said that like 95% of finance industry participants believe that tokenization of 
all assets is the future, like 95%. So like we're going there no matter what. Um, and so uh, how much does that play a role in Chainlink? How much does it, how much money is that in terms of the price appreciation of the coin? Fuck if I know, I don't know. But like the point is it's a longer term thesis. It's not going to happen overnight. So all of these sort of things, they come to fruition over the next 10, 20 years. I don't know what that number is, but like Link is one of those things that I think is like, if it's one of those things, you probably just get some and you leave it on forever, throw it in a wallet, park it in your safety deposit box and walk away. Um, at these prices, especially, um, it might be one that you just don't touch. Um, and I'm not just saying that so that my, you pump my bags, which you'll probably do anyway later. You, you either believe me now or you'll believe me like after it's 3x, but that's that's neither here nor there. This always happens. Um, but um, it, I think it's one of those that um, is probably like a hold for a long period of time just to kind of watch and see what happens. Um, again, it's an infinity or zero type of thing because there were there were some really promising companies historically like Nokia. I always bring back Nokia because it's like the classic example of the type of company I thought would be like around forever. They had like 95% of like the smart, the, the phone industry or something between Nokia, Ericsson, and a few other companies, like 90% or more of the smartphone industry. And guess where they are now? Nowhere. And at the time I was thinking of buying Nokia stock and I was like, eh, I'm not going to buy Nokia stock. I, I'm not sure why I didn't, but I'm glad I didn't because it dropped to basically zero um, from the highs and, um, and it never uh, came back, especially after Apple and others came along. So even Chainlink's the same sort of story. Like maybe today it's like the Nokia of that world, and later someone else over, you know, steps it and it becomes irrelevant. Um, for that matter, Ethereum's still in that category. There's nothing specifically about Ethereum that prevents it from being taken, taken apart, and and um, a new system gets created. And oddly enough, Chainlink's a thing that can, cha Chainlink plus Cosmos chains can enable the downfall of Ethereum. Because if you can get all of the functions you need, you can get data availability, you can get privacy and all the other shit on the chain link layer. And then you could spit any company like can spin up a blockchain for whatever the fuck they want it for, for that particular purpose. Then there's not an obvious need that you have to have necessarily an Ethereum layer. So even if you're an Ethereum maxi, I would be careful. There's nothing specific about it that makes it last forever. And that's not, that's true of chain link is true of Ethereum, whatever. So all of these things are a gamble. If you're investing in crypto or whatever, you're, you're investing on a future that may or may not materialize. Um, especially for your particular coin. So like, it doesn't matter what people say, like, you know, just get the Nokia lesson and you'll realize that, you know, sometimes second or even third movers can completely dominate a market later after all of the kinks have been worked out. Or like, you don't think the Swift or the DTCCs of the world or whatever have a ton of fucking money that they could just copy whatever everyone else is doing. So they go, oh, these experiments are cool, blah, blah, blah. But then they go in the, around everyone's back and make their own system. It's possible um, if they have enough programmers and talented people. That's the trick, though. Like some of the moat for Chainlink is probably just the number, amount of talent. I don't know how easy it is to get enough talent to, to to replace them, both from a business development side and from a just surely like you know blockchain or or, or uh, computing development side. But I don't think anything Chainlink is doing is now rocket science level. I think it's probably understandable to where it can be copied a lot easier than it is to make the first time. But um, I have no doubt that like, if I have an NFT on some platform, that the end user is not going to care what blockchain it's on. Like if they own some neat little video or something, they want to be able to use it everywhere. It's the same thing now, like when you have your Apple TV, and you buy like, I don't know, the latest Ferrari movie, and you're like, Oh, shit, I'm on my PlayStation, I can't watch it now. 
So then someone else created a backend thing called Movies Anywhere or whatever. You use that little code. Now you can like watch that movie you bought everywhere, right? Same thing here. It's like if you bought an NFT somewhere, like the end user is like, what the fuck is this nonsense with this blockchain? Why is my little monkey pick on Ethereum? Why can't I move it to Solana? Why can't I? Like, you know, it defies logic that any of that like is going to make sense to an end user that's like just a simpleton. Like they're not... They don't really care about what chain it's on. And I think that's what's cool about Chainlink is it creates that chain abstraction problem. It solves the chain abstraction problem. And really, like, it's not going to be that difficult to incorporate CCIP-based, um, you know, capabilities into any wallet like MetaMask or Kepler or whatever else. And I think, like, the sooner some blockchains consider whether, like, um, adding those functions matters early, I think the people that get in early are the ones they're going to do well. There are, by the way, if you care about NFTs um, as a little bit of alpha, I'm not, again, I, I don't know if there's any money to be made here, but like if you go to the Chainlink website and it's called Chainlink um, ecosystem.com, uh, there's a list of NFT projects that have actually incorporated CCIP already. I believe these are ones on Arbitrum and Optimism or something. I didn't go to the actual projects myself, so do your own research, but like it's quite possible that the CCIP enabled early NFTs are kind of like the OG versions of that and might actually have some interesting value because they're kind of like, they might develop. So as new NFT marketplaces add this capability, like these have been around a lot longer, they might distribute to so many more chains because they're cross-chain CCIP based. And they could end up getting a broad base of usership and maybe have some value. I don't know, they'll look at them. They, you know how these monkey picks go. They're, a lot of it's just bullshit art anyway. Um, they're not that, not, not that great, but like from a value accrual, like a value um, like collector's type of idea, there are some CCIP-based NFTs out there. Um, I'm not sure. I, I show, I, I'm not sure I saw any that caught my eye really, but something you can look at pretty easily if you love NFTs and like to play on that shit. Um, anyway, um, let me see here. Mm. Well, Zephyr was able to make it from its dump to 1040 back to 13 or actually made it to 14 bucks just a little while ago. So is this a reversal? I don't know. We'll see. It's good. Um, slowly picking up volume on the way up. So um, at some point it'll reverse. And I, I bet Zephyr when it does, it'll reverse very aggressively. It won't be one of these slow things because these are small market caps. So once accumulation periods over and things start running people fomo in and things start to bump fast is that now or not i don't know but pretty good move so far yeah on the four hour chart it went back to the 50 50 period moving average and um the 200 period moving average is at 17 dollars for zeph so i think if it hits 17 climbs above that and gets support there we're pro that's probably what a reversal will look like because on the four-hour chart, the 200-hour 200, 200 move, the 200 moving average is still um, is still in a downtrend. Is so and is so is the 50 um, period moving average. We don't call it the day because it's like these. It's a four-hour period technically on a four-hour chart. So that's how you think about that. Um, but the uh, 200 period is actually starting to flatten out a bit. It's looking looking okay still. We need a good pump on Zephyr to like 25 bucks, then maybe a dip to like 17, and then maybe a pump to about all-time high of 53, maybe a dump to 25 again, something like that, and then it'll look, the chart will look a lot better. Um, 
yeah, I think that that'll play out over the next couple of months. So it's I mentioned this earlier, if you guys missed it, we're about 60 days into the, the consolidation, 60 days from peak to trough on Zephyr right now so far. And uh, that's assuming this is even the bottom. It may not be. But let's just say that it was. You're about 60 days. This is kind of the CASPA chart. CASPA chart took about three months. Uh, that would make it 90 days to get back to its prior high. So if Zephyr starts to turn now, which is right about the right time, if you think about the sort of just other charts in this this type, it has its capitulation here from like it was at 16 for a long time. It capitulated all the way down to 1040 um, on the way back up. And if it's... Um, um, if it starts to make a move, like Casper took about a mo three months to get back to prior high. So that would put it like if they can pull a Caspa, um, then by this time in February, about 30 days from now, you should be at close to 52 bucks if it can do a similar move. Um, otherwise, if the altcoin market just stays shitty and like drags more, maybe it pulls down even longer. I don't know. So, uh, no guarantee it's going to copy anything. We're just looking at like some comparables in terms of price action as far as like how they did uh, proof of work, uh, fair launch chains, and what kind of price action they've had just to kind of uh, make decisions based on that. Uh, otherwise, yeah, like Chainlink is at 1380. Its top was 1760. So from the local top, um, that is a pullback of 24%. It did pull back during, um, it pulled back the, all the way down to find that here. It actually pulled down 31% already. Um, I think that was on December. What was the date? Things on January first or so, so you you already had a pretty deep retracement for uh, for Chainlink. So at this point, it's already putting in. Um, it seems not to be dropping too much more. It might put in a higher low here if it goes for the rest of the week. Um, this is where like these higher lows in the swing trades, you'd go by the weekly candles. Um, but if it puts in, um, if it's able to sustain these levels by Sunday, uh, then you're really talking about a really good higher low, and then. I don't know, maybe the altcoin market finally tries to catch, catch a breath now and starts heading up. Because um, most of these things ran like November, December. So we've had plenty of time to, like we're, we're approaching two months, three on some of them. Like I think Rune is probably already at three months of tracement. Uh, let's see, Rune. Rune's another one that's kind of, um, yeah, it's at like four bucks at the moment good pullback it's sitting right on a fib is rune going to make it down to two dollars and 75 cents the next fib down probably not uh i don't know rune's volatile as hell though it could <laughs> like so rune would be a fantastic buy at like 280 it's now at four bucks uh does it get there maybe um if the market just nukes then uh especially if btc goes down a lot Rune's target price would be two seventy two. I would put an alarm there. Good place to pick up Rune if you uh, are interested in that. It's at four oh five now, but but at two seventy would be a cheap Rune. And Rune has found support there last bull market at right around three dollars too. So 
like on a chart that tends to attract people's eye and that tends to attract where people put their buy orders in and three dollars ruin is probably good oh okay anyway if anyone has any kind of questions comments theories about any of these kind of price action lately i don't know if who's actually buying anything out there if everyone's broke or what i don't see a lot of buying on the timeline though i don't see anybody going like oh i bought this today or i bought that today that looks that's kind of either super bullish <laughs> because like everyone's in despair or it's bearish because like nope everyone's fucking broke and doesn't have any money i'm not sure which one which answer that is <laughs> maybe you guys can chime in and tell me hmm Let's see here. Yep, I don't know. I think everyone has an indecision sort of behavior too. No one's wanting to say anything. No one's wanting to be really bullish or bearish because they feel like they can be proven wrong in either direction at this point. Um, I'm going to stay bullish, I think. I'm biased bullish. Why? Because Bitcoin halvings in April. That's why. <laughs> and uh, unless there's some black swan event or something in between which who knows, I feel like between the ETF and all the other catalysts, especially if the ETH ETF also happens, um, then the market gets more cash flows from different places. And um, I think we can definitely run. Um, usually, like when's the last time we had a happening year where everything ran? Was that back in 20? Let's see here. It's been a long time. Um, which happening year did everything sort of just go ape shit? Um, I think it was 2016. So yeah, 2016 like was pretty much by and large up only. Uh, 2020 was obviously happening year, but we had the COVID crash. Uh, it was it would have been up only probably if it hadn't been for the COVID crash. If you look at the chart and you just subtract the COVID crash, Bitcoin's chart it probably would have just trickled up steadily that entire year. Um, can you, you can't make, make up history. So you have no idea, but, um, but if we don't have a crash this time around, um, is it legit that we could just have a bullish year throughout 2024 and we replicate 2016? I think it's possible, especially with this ETF money coming in. Um, if that can that flow continues to come in and people keep hearing about the ETF and picking it up, because you know, almost nobody's heard about the ETF. I bet you like, you know, 1% of Americans or something have really like, you know, heard about it or even put any money into it. So it's probably early. Um, if that could continue for the next year or two. And I think what it, where it'll happen is, is like, if Bitcoin gets a lot of CNBC play and whatever, where people start talking about it as it breaks all time high, that's when the public comes in. They're like, where can I get my Bitcoin exposure? Oh, you didn't know you can get it at the ETF now. And people's, you know, will, will buy there along with maybe some spot BTC. But um, yeah, is this going to be like um, uh, similar to 2016 or are we going to have a dump like some people think um, that we, we just have like an overbought market? I don't think anyone really knows. Uh, my bias is bullish. I'm more heavily allocated. I could be wrong. I might see my bag get cut in half, you know, like chain link goes down to seven. And um you know, and uh, BTC dumps to 20K to the mining price and everything goes to shit. That's very much possible, but um, my bags aren't allocated with that assumption at all. It's the other way around, still bullish to me. But we'll see. Um, anyway, 
anybody want to hop up and hang out? I don't know, Robo or Cheetah or anybody else down there, Jasmine, you guys do anything interesting this evening? Um, buying anything, selling anything? Neutral. Bags are packed. Chilling. What are you doing? <laughs> Curious. Let's see what, there's some comments today. Let's see what everyone said. Um, figure out how to do the damn comments thing. Here we go. Um, Slink said, coach is buying to make Sefi feel better. It's possible. Um, Pat Cheetah said, bought some Zeph today to Jew. Uh, Zeph God said, ZSD supply will be a good bull indicator in the future as it drives Zeph conversion and more Zeph gets locked in ZRS and pseudo staking. That's true. Uh, seemed like the biggest competitor to Link is Quant. Um, that might be true, except that the Quant team hasn't actually accomplished very much. Um, so like uh, Quant would be the, the much more high risk version, I think, at this point of a Chainlink type of competitor. Now, are they doing as many, um, like, have they created, like, what have they actually created? Have they actually developed a cross-chain connectivity protocol and all the rest? I'm not sure. Um, their quants price was $41 in May of 2022. And um, they're now at $105. So did pretty good off the bottom, for sure. Um, nearly a 3x off the bottom, so that's pretty decent. Similar to Chainlink in that respect. Um, but um, I don't really know if how good Quant actually is in terms of team and execution. Remember with these types of projects, um, going forward, it's going to be all about execution. It's going to be all about the ability to deliver on promises. Um, exceedingly, like a lot of crypto participants are not going to fuck around with people's vaporware, especially when really good shit's coming out. So that's something to bear in mind. I would say it's going to be harder and harder for, um, it's almost like penny stocks. It's like it's going to be harder and harder in the space for crap projects to attract capital um, and attention. Uh, Mayor, what you doing, man? What's your theory? Hello, Sefi. Uh, just long, busy day, but. Uh, Are you, I got a question for you. Are you uh, happy about the, like Adam Wars concept, you think it's nonsense. You think it's going to go anywhere? Like, what's your theory on that? Um, I I saw a couple tweets about it. Is it is it about like what? Can you give me a like a brief summary? I think it's like a curve wars concept where they create like some kind of like specialized voting concept. If you have a certain amount of atom, yeah. and you can you can then direct protocol liquidity from Cosmos to different things based on voting power. Yeah. And the idea is that like people are going to buy up Adam in order to be like, you know, like to have this power or whatever. But, you know, by with Cosmos not being an execution layer, you know, without Wasm enabled, I'm just not sure like what any of that means exactly. Um, and my what my point was earlier is that like Chainlink CCIP is pretty bearish for I of uh, for for. Um, for uh what's it called ibc uh ibc ibc yeah, yeah. yeah so this is a concern of mine as well um in fact like it makes a lot of sense for cosmos chains to add ccip on top of anything related to uh, ibc they might already be doing because you get you get the um price feeds and some of the, the the oracle feeds with not just price feeds but you get basically like um very very liquid assets that all get connected to that same system, yeah, right? Yeah. Like you, you immediately get access to Arbitrum-based things, Optimism-based things. You get access to Circle USDC without having to have like Axler and all these other middlemen in, in between. 
it's pretty bullish. And you have cross-chain NFTs too, which we have not actually created a cross-chain NFT pro- protocol that I'm aware of in Cosmos yet. Yeah, they, at least, they, at least, they were at least not one that not at least not one that's really really great. Yeah, they were know? working on it, anyways. Yeah, I don't know. I haven't but, I haven't been paying that much attention. Um, I I do know that the uh, the asteroid protocol with the um, inscriptions has has kind of mm-hmm. it kind of finally brought some attention back to the hub. You know. Yeah. And um, I guess you can trade them now. I, I I haven't been messing around with it that much. I've been paying paying attention to other things, but. Um, yeah, I mean, is is there something I'm missing about inscriptions to where it's like, I expect inscriptions to be amazing over the next five years, or is it just another fad that comes and goes? Like, is this the Facebook to MySpace? <laughs> or is it like, is this the MySpace that just is another MySpace? Is my question, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, it, see, here's the thing. Like, with Bitcoin, it's different because Bitcoin is Bitcoin and inscribing on Exactly. On the Bitcoin blockchain is different. And I think those in um ordinals and those NFTs that are inscribed, there's a very, very large marketplace and sought after marketplace for those inscriptions. Um well there there is for now. Yes, for now. Right. Like you you could have said this about any number of NFT projects on ETH and Solana like a few years mm-hmm. ago, and there's not nearly as much demand now. Yeah, so you have the hardcore Bitcoiners that are getting in. I guess there's the new Taproot Wizard uh, NFTs that are going to be inscribed, and that's like all the hottest rage. And, and, it, and it comes and goes in cycles, and it just gives it just gives DGens something to trade. And so I think that's kind of what the Asteroid Protocol is doing. And you know, hats off to um, uh, the the Delphi team and, and Astro uh, those guys for for doing this on the hub. You know, they finally brought some attention back to the hub, and they're getting. Um, you know, they're getting a lot of attention for it. So, yeah, as far as the Atom Wars, I'm not paying that much attention to it. Um, I've been paying more attention to just to Tia, to Celestia, and some of these other opportunities. I think, I think for Adam, the problem still is, like, there, there's not, like, a clear game theoretic reason why you'd want to own that token above anything else. And this is still a problem. Um, there's obviously the, you know, some sort of store value component um, you know, there's some interchain money idea, which Jay doesn't like there is, you know, whatever. But the, the thing is like, if you had an opportunity cost between that and every other coin you could possibly own, like you're wanting this precisely why, right? Like, and as an atom holder, you know, I still struggle. I think it's interesting because it has a network effect because it's like a mm-hmm. flag bearer for the cosmos. That's kind of my mm-hmm. thought, but does that translate to great price action automatically? It hasn't so far. Like it's not really nope. outperforming very much, like a Dogecoin or fucking anything else. So like, <laughs> so it's not really done much lately. It's it's done. It's kind of done what it was designed to do, which was, <laughs> I mean, in the in the beginning, be a stable coin. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and it, it, it was. I mean, gosh, it the original tendermint team that got that allocation and you know adam was under you know 50 cents and all and all that stuff like if you got in back then in 2016 or whatever you you could you've been living off the inflation you know and i i guess the thing ever since osmosis went live and after the osmosis airdrop that's when i came in like i didn't i didn't have my adam state um self-custody 
like all through 2020. I, di I didn't come in until after the osmosis airdrop <clears throat> because I realized I was missing out so much. And like I've learned, you know, through the pain of the last two years is that like, you know, it, it's been good for the airdrops and, and the inflation but there is still no uh, value capture. You know, and I know the narrative has changed with interchange security and now we got Neutron and Stride, you know, is secured by the hub. So, I mean, it's a little different than what it was, but then, but back to your, your original point, yeah, no, there's still not that value capture to, to Atom. Um, but- Yeah, like, have you, had you convert all your Atom to Injective at the bottom or you had converted like all your Atom to, um... Oh, I don't know. Like, even, 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 yeah. even, no, even the more recent um, neutron, like mm -hmm. you'd have like made multiples by now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's not really clear, like that. You know, new capital who goes into crypto for what? Why do people go into crypto? They go into crypto for like higher risk reward. They they go into it for the volatility, and when and you can't provide that volatility, and you can't provide a clear thesis of a high upside then like you're just taking crypto risk but you're not actually getting any high upside it doesn't make any it doesn't really make sense like so i don't know yeah and, and i mean that's been the thing for people who people who understand web3 they they know what the the weakness of the atom token is but the strength is ibc the strength is the ecosystem is has been growing the strength is that you have a lot of devs that are building on top of the SDK. I mean, Sefi, there's a lot of new chains coming. I mean, there's a lot of new chains coming even after. I mean, Tia, Celestia was great, but there's still- Yeah, Noise is coming. Mm -hmm. Dimension's about to open. Mm -hmm. Andromeda's about to open. Those are just three off the top of my head. Yeah. Uh, crypto, I don't know what else. Cryptocito just put out a video. There's, there's a couple new ones. Uh, Barra chain, which is like an EVM com com oh, yeah. compatible mm -hmm. chain. I mean, it's kind of like a clone yeah. clone of what you know Kava is or um, Evmos. But I, I, mean, I don't get like what what a new what a new EVM compatible SDK. I mean, we've already got like DYDX and all that stuff. But oh, we had one EVM compatible one that didn't do well, which was Evmos. Remember? Yes, that was kind of like everyone's yeah. everyone's excited about that for a while, and that. Like, I don't know, has it fizzled out or what happened to that thing? It, I got burned on Evmos, Steffi. I know you had as most involvement, yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. Yeah, yeah. It, it's it's not fizzled out. They're, they're still building on it. They had some, they had some bad, they had some leadership shakeout. Like in the middle of the bear market, I think some of the, the core team got burned out and left. And um, there just wasn't anything getting built on top of it. They were just spinning their wheels. Um, the one NFT platform just decided to stop pursuing that and built a, built a side decks. So they, the one NFT marketplace, the devs for that started building a DEX, which that didn't, that didn't pan out that great. So anyways, there's, there's not a whole, whole lot going on. So I don't know if, I don't know if you missed the combo I had earlier, but did you know, you know, that, um, you see that message that Arbitrum just incorporated the new chain link functions infrastructure. I did not so, see that. That's pretty Chainlink functions is basically like an execution layer, but you don't have to do it on your own blockchain. You can do it through the Chainlink CCIP, whatever ecosystem thing. Mm -hmm. And that's super bullish in a sense. Well, it's really good for blockchains because now you don't have to like, one, you don't have to be tied to your like Cosmosm. You don't have to be tied to EVM. 
you can tie to like anybody can create functions of any type hmm. um, and publish them and anyone can use them similar to like what Andromeda is doing. And, you know, this is, this is like, in a way, um, it's, it's also bearish for the app chain thesis in a sense, because like, you know, if one of the reasons why you would differentiate into app chains is to accomplish these goals, and some organization is basically creating like an operating system for you to do all this shit, like in a box, then right, like like what's the like what's the need for all these separate things? Um, you, you're going to go to the one stop shop where you have all the shit in one place and everyone's cross compatible. Yeah. And with with Chainlink CCIP, the interesting thing is you're not really like they don't make money off of um, making their own dApps and things. So they're not going to be seen as a competitor to existing ecosystem right off the bat. They're going to be seen as like a place to like an interconnectivity layer. And therefore they're not like trying to take the business of any given blockchain necessarily. So you can imagine more DeFi platforms are going to use something like that. Anyway, but it's, it just seems like it's, uh, one more thing that is an uphill battle against um, like what IBC has been trying to do in particular. Because IBC got what? Uh, I think Polkadot has, there's IBC Polkadot, right? Am I right? And they're, then there's like... Yeah, they're implementing uh, con connectivity between Polkadot and... Oh, I thought they already did because you have DOT tokens available on like Astroport and stuff. Yeah, there's another... There's another new chain coming out too. That's uh, what's this I, eigenlayer or I, eigenlayer with? Um... But you know, what, you know what pissed me off though. Oh no, eigenlayer is a um, what is that? It's yeah. like a staking solution type of thing for ETH though, right? Yeah, it's like some fucked up liquid staking thing. I don't know exactly what it does, but some people say it's like bad for the ecosystem as far as like security. It'll create a new Ponzi, like a <laughs> it'll it'll be like a new anchor protocol Ponzi. And that will eventually crash is what some people say. It's quite possible. These flywheel type things are why they build them, right? Like they want to attract lots of capital and users. And there's always some stupid ass reason why those things are um, like, they don't, like if you're not curing cancer with it, right? It's got to be doing something goofy in the background to, right? <laughs> like to make it like, there's just like capital efficiency of staking or some other BS. It's like stride kind of anytime you're doing liquid staking. This is what I like about Chainlink too on this. Like one of the things I'm, excited about is the fact that like i don't have to worry about like the stuff that Chainlink's building is not some kind of ponzi shit it's actually useful to build ponzi protocols on top of so like if a ponzi protocol crashes it doesn't take Chainlink down with it nobody like it won't affect it at all or you know so i think that's what's interesting and bullish to me about it it's like no matter what you want to build you can connect it with this and that's the end of it seems like it's interesting to me yeah, Ch Chainlink is fascinating. Fascinating. I know um, when I've briefly tried to look at it or listen to it, it, it just seems like they're trying to do so much. Mm -hmm. It's it, it's more of they. If you listen to them, they they see that they're trying to they're trying to position themselves for like twenty twenty eight, twenty twenty nine, when there's more adoption and there's more like you know. <laughs> web two companies embracing and so they want to be that intermediary between no they want to bring they want to bring swift and stocks in so yes yeah that, that's the only way like crypto really grows because mom and pop they're not going to go and like 
go to yeah. some thing and then send their coins to some decks or whatever. Don't want to give a shit about any of that. Yeah, they, I mean, they like want to get the, when people talk the about bond, they want to get the bond trading and they want to get some of the the high high volume trade stuff happening on on chain, right? Or whatever it is. The the reality yeah. is like you know, crypto as it stands today, without something like Chainlink abstracting away a lot of this nonsense, um, the average person is not going to give a flying fuck about crypto. Like there's not. I mean, like how, how many, you know, is your grandmother going to go use your Cosme, you know, Kepler wallet and stake her atom? Fuck no. This is not happening, right? Like, so there's no such thing as mass adoption or like any kind of commercial applications on crypto as it stands today, which is why there are no commercial applications on crypto as it stands today. Like, we're, we, it's, there's, there's been enough time passing that if it was determined that like a frequent flyer miles system would be benefited yeah. by being on a crypto based platform, it would already be on there now. Yeah. So yeah. the barriers yeah. to be doing that are not that high. Yeah, even the gaming, even the gaming crypto are still trying to chisel away at that, 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 like, it's like a barbed wire gate that the, you know, the big gaming industries doesn't want to let them in, you know? Yeah. But imagine, imagine like you could um, use the dividend for your Exxon Mobil stock and you could DCA that into, um, you know, a BTC versus gold bot trading pair. Or you could DCA like your yield from a stock into, um, you know, like Ethereum, I don't know, frequent, frequent yeah, flyer exactly. miles or some shit. Yeah, you go on vacation. You go on vacation with it or something, right? <laughs> like, yeah. you know, interesting like ways that tokenization results in um, taking normal assets and having fun with them. And then, you know, you could package those into fun little things to where, like, the interesting thing about CCIP is that actually allows you to have an app where you could interact with these types of protocols and not even realize you're interacting with crypto at all. Like, you could have a banking product that it's like, oh, you can use your interest from your banking, you know, your bank account, and that interest can go into, I don't know, like, you know, buying your next Apple computer and you can get 10% off if you DCA into Apple uh, coins or something. You know, these kinds of capabilities become really, really obvious then. Where where you don't need to have, like, the bank could introduce this without having to know anything about, you know, crypto at all. Like, they could just simply connect these different things together and boom, they're done. There's no, there no, there no, there's no like, actual, um, there there's no, like, actual, um, like blockchain that the human being has to actually play with basically and the same thing is true for gaming like if you, gaming companies are in there's quite a few gaming companies connecting ccip um which is interesting so some apparently some big ones are looking into it and i don't know how far that'll materialize but that makes it so that the gamer has you know you know you could have like you know stocks being traded in your video game in theory pretty interesting stuff yeah, this this link you posted up top is exactly the one I was talking about. That's the one. Yeah, I just posted that out. So may not be released. There's this principle in like Taoism. There's this principle in like Taoism where it's like the more you fight something, the more like the opposite of what you want, like just inevitably it kind of starts to happen. There's this principle in like Taoism, 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 where it's 
goes. Like, the more you fight something, the more, like, the opposite of what you want. Inevitably, it kind of starts to happen. Chirping on the bird app, listening to nerds flap, wondering why the fuck my timeline's so cursed. It's like everybody's holding heavy bags in Web3. That's why they can't fly, they just drowning in the bird bath, fishing for some crop powder. Watch how we ignite the tower, blowing up the bank accounts, forgetting how to fight the power. Y'all don't even realize how deep this shit goes. They preaching open sauce, but don't listen to the code, and now it's mutiny, community, uprise. There's no more humility, futility, plus size. Motherfuckers leaking from the wrench down to the bare metal. Which side the line you bleeding out on when the dust settles? Motherfucking west side shit, needle and noose. Sticking with my armory, Yam, Beto, and Bruce. Repping psychedelic artistry, believing the truth. Like these motherfuckers even need a reason to sue? GM fam. Is it really worth all the fighting? Is it really worth all the drama? And the answer, I think, is a clear no. We started using Zoom, now we finna zoom out Teaching all these plebidites what this game's really all about Little baby bitches when they choose to have fits All you're left with is kibble when you lose all them bits And that kibble's just sawdust, the shit is all rust Not a great look, you're what we call all nuts And I for one did not see that coming Cracking open books, yo, that's a lot of money Meanwhile over here rewiring features More critical thinking, less knee jerk More evolution, less shit coin Preachers pretending to be teachers Y'all just predatory leeches I mean please, just look at the track record A bunch of VC rap fucks Sucking up the cheddar, the recipe is two steps Rinse and repeat Now we all in your butts And we bring in receipts GM fam, have a seat If you're listening to this, my, my plea to you, you would be like don't have, don't, don't have to take a side on it Just say like, is it really, is it really worth this war of attrition? It might cost us a lot more than what can be gained by like fighting this to the better end. And sometimes it's better to just like move on. Ten spaces.